Let's roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Countercharge. I'm Dustin Howard. I'm Andy Patton. I'm Matt Carmack. I'm Adam Ballard. And I'm Rough It Up. Well, guys, we're really excited. This is the uh, the first Empire Dust Army review in a while, and this is a full-blown one. This is not one that we, you know, in the past we've done them at events, and we would show up, and we would spend an hour, hour and a half, this is going to be the full army review that, that you love. This is like a cavalcade of superstars here. Start with that, Dustin. Why do people care what you have to say about Empire of Dust? Uh, for, for one, they named it after me. The Empire of Dustin did exist with version two. I won 2017 Paragon with EOD. I got second Paragon with them as well uh, on another Masters. And then uh, in the South, I ran rampant till. I pretty much got bored and started playing something else. Well, it wasn't EOD. And uh, I got to admit, I really want to just run EOD more often. If I had more tournaments, I'd probably run them at least half the year every year. And over to Matt. This was my first real Kings of War faction. I played basically Warhammer cast-off armies and then decided I wanted to make an actual Kings of War army that was built to play Kings of War. And I built an army that was literally nothing but chariots. So recently, I didn't know you owned anything but chariots. Yeah, and then ran that for eight years, so st- still going strong. We'll sort over to Andy, the, the new kid on the block. Yeah, I've only been in them since March, but I've been doing fairly well with them overall and using things that Dustin and Adam weren't using. Just trying to change it up here in the southeast. And last but not least, the, the man's a living legend, Adam Ballard. They were my second Kings of War army. I played elves before that, so I wanted to play a different play style than what the elves do. Something that can take a punch, something that can grind. EOD definitely does that better than most, if not every army. And just the way the army synergizes together and the uniqueness of uh, certain units, it's by far my favorite faction in Kings of War because of that. Well, let's get in and talk a little bit about the background. Matt, this is an army that has a very interesting background, and I know you are you are a, a, a lover of all things Empire of Dust. To keep it short and sweet, so as to not uh, spoil it, you can read the whole thing in the uh, lore book that Mantic has published through their web store. It's free. You can go download it. It's got some great background there. Uh, the short and sweet of it is Ophidia, so the country that basically was the ancient rival of... Uh, Primer Vantor. Yeah. The, the equivalent of Mantic's Rome. So Ophidia was this, uh, was originally not Ophidia. It was the uh, Ammonite kingdom, and they practiced necromancy, and they became, like, super involved with necromancy. They used, basically, undead labor to help build massive temples to Shobek, who's the god of death. Uh, and then one day that went a little too off the rails, and they started... A massive civil war, and it turns out when you can just constantly raise people back from the dead, uh, it's a bad place to be. And so the uh, northern sections of the kingdom basically split off and ran away, and that's what becomes Ophidia later on. So Ophidia is its own thing from the Ammonite kingdoms, which they then turned around and basically on their way out, they slammed the door by casting a giant 
massive amount of magic that dust swept over the old Ammonite kingdom, stripped flesh from bones, and everyone who wasn't already dead became dead. And for several centuries, they were buried and left to rot beneath the sands. And recently, the sands were uncovered, and they've been marching out, and their presence has been felt across all of Panathor. And that's where we are now. So the Ophidians are now like, oh god, they're back. Their position on the world map is basically in between Ophidia and the Twilight Kin. Both of them have reasons to be concerned, and the Salamanders in the Middle Sea are fighting them fleet-wise in Armada, so there's that going on. Um, but yeah, that's about where the current state of the lore is for them. And I love the fact that they're so integral to the story. Uh, they're an antagonist against many, you know, you mentioned Salamanders, but lots and lots of factions do not like Empire of Dust or the Ammonite Empire. I'm excited to see where they take it in the future. You know, I think the story is going to keep evolving. Who knows? Maybe we get an Ophidian army at some point and it's going to have a different take. I would, uh, that would be, yeah, uh, that would be amazing. Lots to come. Adam, what is it about the background story that gets you uh, hot and bothered? Who doesn't love a comeback story? It sounds like they were oppressed, they got killed, and then they they're coming back. Like it, it's an underdog fight for sure. Death made them stronger than ever. What's your motivation for playing this army? Big motivation was the uh, difference in play style from the uh, elves that I was playing up until that point. Something that uh, is slower, more durable. And I, I really love the surge mechanic as well. Uh, so I was looking for something that kind of checked all those boxes. And uh, Empire Dust was uh, definitely the one that just seemed like the right fit for me. So picked them up, played a few different uh, ways. I decided heavy infantry style was really what I was going after uh, with a couple of fun monsters and uh, you know, bigger things to, to smash harder, but really stuck true to that original format um, and play a, a lot of infantry and a lot of variation of infantry, not just spamming one type. So, um, yeah, and the army is great. Yeah, I'm interested in Dustin, same question to you. I mean, because you play not as much infantry. I know you're the king of the monsters. <laughs> well, I originally started because of mummies. Um Back in version two, we had no one playing Empire of Dust in Texas at that time. And I built my friend Steven an undead list, which is mostly mummies. And he's, he's my uh, internet troll friend, so he trolled me into thinking, hey, no one plays this army. Everyone on the internet didn't like Shobik at the time. And he said it would be cool if we ran him undead, me EOD. So my first list had still had Bone Giants, of course, and Bone Dragons and Shobik. But it had... Uh, Three mummy regiments. That was for Shiloh years ago, and chariots. And that was most of the list. After that, I could just really fell in love with obviously Shobik, and he's just gotten better through the years, cheaper and uh, more of a bargain. And double down on monsters. I love enslaved guardians. I think infantry's in a sweet spot right now for EOD. Right now, I think we're in a positive motion with EOD. So I could say playstyle could play any different ways, and that's why I love EOD so much. Same question to you, Matt. Yeah, I started with the army back in early second edition, and I was drawn to the army mostly because of the aesthetic. So I wanted to play uh, basically undead Egyptians. That's what the theme was and still is to this day. And I was very much wanted to do that over regular undead, uh, but wanted to play an undead army just because I wanted to play something evil. And 
basically looked at the list and tried to build a list for about two weeks and kept coming to the conclusion that everything sucked. Uh, and then found chariots is like, well, these do stay like they're kind of bad at shooting and they're kind of bad at fighting and they're kind of bad at being fast, but at least they're bad at all of those things. <laughs> so uh, just uh, decided how many of the like literally was like, how many of these could I take in an army? And then uh, discovered that the answer is all of them. And uh that has not changed for eight years. Uh, big shout out to Mantic. That new range that they've got off Empire Dust is fantastic. Oh, those chariots are gorgeous. The chariots are great. The hard plastic cav and the hard plastic archer warrior kit, spe- spearman kit. I mean, they're super great. If you haven't seen them, definitely take a look. They have the two-player starter set that comes with Ogres. And so I, I painted up just a small starter for us. And it's been a lot of fun. Andy, same question over to you. I know this was actually your very first army in Kings of War. So... What's your motivation? Yeah, going back to the the new kits. They were very new kits uh, when I was being talked into uh, joining the game. Uh, Buddy of mine was like, hey, you know, let's split the two-player starter set. I'll take the ogres so I can paint them up for the store. The buddy is Rob, by the way. (laughs) And I'll take the EOD. And at the time, Devlin had, who is one of our locals that plays a lot, he was not playing EOD, moving over to, to Silvican, and it just wasn't seeing any play in the area. So I was like, you know what? I'll give it a shot and try it out. And I've been in love with him ever since. Played a, a whole slew of games with them so far since I started. And yeah, they they have a uh, a unique way of playing that I'm very much enjoying. Awesome. Yeah. And like I said, your army looks great. Uh, you have a very unique look with the very dark skeletons and the display board certainly pops. So, all right, well, this is the point where we get to the stuff that everybody's been waiting for. Let's get into the army review itself. Empire of dust, the Ammonite empire, obviously evil alignment. And they do have an army special rule that has actually changed. It's still casket of the damned, but now the casket, give scout this seems like a huge thing to me i don't play empire dust but i would think this is a big deal rather than just adding extra dice to my surge being able to scout up certain units it's an improvement it is playable now if i actually see the field now i agree with that statement (laughs) funny story andy's first game he had like a bunch of troops and they all had caskets and i was like look i don't play empire dust but i think you're doing it wrong Funny story, I listened to that uh, podcast about him going through his first army on the way to a tournament, and I was just yelling at that in the car. I'm like, what the hell are you doing, Andy? <laughs> no, stop it. I think you wasted like 60 points on, on caskets, and I'm like, that's a whole nother unit. He's one of those guys that learns better from getting his teeth kicked in, right? You, you learn by making a mistake, and then you, oh, I was dumb. The Casket of the Dam now gives the Scout special rule, and obviously the units that can take it, it's changed. There's some units that used to be able to take it that can no longer take it. We'll cover those in the unit by unit. I'll throw some some fun behind-the-scene notes onto that. So we, we actually toyed around with this a little bit with a couple different variations on what it could end up being. This is the, the one we went with, basically. There was a version where it was going to be like it went on the caster instead of the units so that the bonus dice for surge would always be active rather than maybe you got to surge that one unit that had the casket that one time. Um, we had a version where the unit got ordered march. 
But this is the one we ended up with. So it's a cool rule, I think, for the infantry to at least give them a chance. We'll see if it can make EOD infantry a playable force. I gotta say, uh, right now you can build a list around it. Reminds me of that old formation they had in second edition, and yeah. I, which I I used to play that just for fun, and it caught a lot of people off guard. So I'm hoping you could do like that, but on steroids, pretty much. It is playable now. That's more than we could ask for. So the only thing I uh, I, I am struggling with is that um, it's mostly infantry that are getting it which is fine. I, I don't think the other stuff needs it. Um, but when you split your army by half of it moving forward and then the other half not, because the scout move allows you to, to ignore the shambling. So you can have troops, you know, mummies and, you know, uh, skeletons just running forward 10 inches. And then, you know, the bone giant and Shobik are sitting in the backfield. Like we'll catch up there in two turns, guys. We're, we're lagging yeah. behind because we're still shambling back here. So yeah, but they also are faster too. Yeah, but they're not fast enough, and they still sh- if you move the infantry forward another five inches after they scout, uh, you know, Shobik's still eight inches behind them. I have a theory. If I could run it like I did in the formation, it's a, it's mostly my. I view skeletons as just pure chaff, and. Uh, using them as a back wave that scouts through the unit is what I'm looking at. And now all of a sudden you have these giant skeleton walls that just provide a screen for your uh, hammers, if you will. So, but it's only if it's taller than it works and it's not optimized at any means. It's just another op- uh, delivery system. That's how I see it. For yeah. Sure. I-, I could see it being used in that way for sure. All right. We're going to get into the units by units and this will include the clash of King updates. So we're going to start, where any good EOD army starts, and that's with Skeleton Warriors. Troop, Regiment, and Horde, 1, 2, 3 unit strength, you know, 10, 12, 25 attacks, 11, 15, and 22 nerve. Obviously, they're fearless. And 55, 85, 140. Speed 5, Malay 5, and Defense 4+. plus. Still have Life Fleech 1 and Shambling. The options, that's where we have some Clash of King changes. Uh, you can still exchange uh, shields for two-handed uh, weapons, lowering your defense to 3+, plus and gain crushing strength 1. But now it's free which I think is a great change. And instead of 10 points, the casket now is five points. So guys, talk to me about the role of warriors in an Empire Dust list. They're cheap. They're good unit strength. Uh, and they're actually very durable being defense for and uh, a respectable nerve for their points. I never leave home without a horde. Uh, you know, dash 22 is pretty hard to get through at defense four, and they're only 140 points. So uh, it's... Three unit strength. It's a large amount of nerve. It's a uh, it's a tool that the army otherwise just doesn't have access to. And this is the cheapest form of it. You can get uh, spearmen. You can get revenants. Uh, but those are going to be quite a bit more points. So I love my horde of warriors, and uh, I would always take them. This is one where I don't think the change is going to be a massive impact. It's mostly for consistency with other units that have a similar swamp attack. Because as Adam just said, I I think most people who are taking Skeleton Warriors, they're taking it for the just cheap unlock, and it's a big chunk of nerve. And when they're only hitting on fives, most of the time you want them to just soak. You just want them to be there to soak wounds. I don't expect we'll see a lot of people taking the swap there, but it is an option. I got to agree with my brothers over here, brother, brother Adam and brother Matthew, because uh, they're your cheapest unlock 
for one, and they're still de- defense four fearless with life leech. That's compared to other defense four unlocks. Let's we're looking at rabble. You're you're going to beat the tar out of them. On top of that, you can take them into troop. I know that's unpopular opinion, but I ran those successfully in the past. Those troops are the cheapest defense four you could get in the game. It's also your cheapest unit strength in the game at 55 points for a troop. Meaning, like, if you just want a complete dead drop or a screen, you need a, a cheap screen. That's Now, it's not going to be better than mummy troops, but it's way, you could take two for the cost of one if you just need something to set on an objective. You really can't deny the, the efficiency of that. I definitely agree with the troop of, mum, or troop of skeletons there. Yeah. Highly underrated. I don't think we see enough of them. I would, would take them. I feel like I... Uh, they just never worked in the the build that I was doing, but I love them for that fact. Fifty five points for one unit strength, and a drop doesn't get better than that. No, oh, of course not. Oh, amen. Well, awesome. Anybody else have anything to chime in on warriors? I don't actually know what Andy runs in his army. I've I've seen it, like I've seen the physical army itself, but all I thought when I saw it was like, oh my god, the color scheme is gorgeous, and then like that's the extent I know of his army. <laughs> so uh, I run a lot of spearmen. Okay. Two hordes of spearmen. Oh, respect. Yeah, and dead eye crossbows. Oh, I can respect that. Well, spearmen are next. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I put my name on those because I'm the OG. <laughs> That's right. Well, and you took his beard, so there's that as well. Yeah, he's he's got a third dominance. Adam, take us into your favorite skeleton spearmen. All right. So skeleton spearmen got cheaper because they weren't good enough before. Five points cheaper, I think, all around, In uh, except for the Horde. The Horde got 10 points cheaper. So 65 points now for a troop, 100 for a regiment, and 165 for the Horde. They also got the casket upgrade uh, for the scout now. So Otherwise, everything else stayed the same. They have the exact same stats as Skeleton Warriors, except for they have the increased uh, attack value with the 12 attacks in the troop, 15 for a regiment, and 30 for the Horde, uh, which also because of their point values, their regiments are unit strength 3 and their Hordes are unit strength 4. I love these guys, specifically in the regiment uh, size uh, I never leave home without two of them. Uh, they win games. Uh, they are the reason I play EOD. Uh, people hate them when I put them on the table. And I love that. Mm. Yeah, hard hard to argue against 100 points flat, which is just super nice, super clean, super even. Yeah, that, that point efficiency is beautiful. We might see more of these guys. Obviously, they got cheaper, right? And that's a, that's a failing units across the board, Clash Kings. Uh, we saw a point reduction. So, you know, they're popular and they're the bane of most cavalry's existence. Yeah, hopefully we start seeing an increase in phalanx. Such a good rule. And uh, I think with uh, cavalry's going to see up. I think everything's going to see uptick. So phalanx might actually be more important in the future. But as Adam said, like, you can't get it wrong. You get three more attacks in a regiment, five more in a horde. Your unit shrinks better. And for a fraction of the cost, it's a, it's a phenomenal unit. It's... Uh, Plus, it looks good on the table seeing all those pointy sticks. Yeah, it's probably the most point efficient unit in the in the entire army, in my opinion. For unit strength, yeah, I can see that. And the phalanx knocking out nimble out of the non flyers oh, is, yeah. is a good good thing too, right? It's an under underutilized thing that people don't really pay attention to. 
<laughs> yeah. I recently uh, actually caught out a Trident Rome player by doing a wound with my spearman to his knucker, and he's trying to do a nimble pivot horde or nimble pivot around me, and I'm like, nope, not going to let that happen. So. Oh yeah, I gotta love that when you shut down the knuckers and you shut down like uh, even the new worm riders. So shut them down a couple times, and it's it's a beautiful seeing their face. They're not used to losing nimble. Right. What do you think, Adam? You're gonna take the the casket on your regiments now? I tried it in play testing, and they get where they need to go in the way I play them already. So I just didn't see the point in wasting five points on them. I haven't done much testing with the caskets yet. But I think I will in the near future. Five points, though, seems like not a lot of points. So, I mean, it's not a terribly expensive investment. Yeah. I tested it just the other day with uh, two scouts. And by doing it like that, um, by two scouting spear hordes as a giant front wave and dominating the 12-inch line, it's, it's pretty nice to have that big hunk of meat, right? Or I guess bone in our case, just sitting in the middle of the board. And then if they came into it, well, they're getting charged by giants and enslaved guardians. It was a real more aggro-based EOD, but still had that grind element and cost a fraction of the co- of points to do that, just from two scouting hordes. Yeah, it's kind of been my uh, strategy so far, and it does great and. Until you play the mirror match. <laughs> oh, and that, hey, no, uh, well, me. I guess me and Adam never played a mirror match of EOD. Nope. I think whoever controlled the EOD has won in our matchups. Yeah, it's true. Although, no, well, I, you beat me with ice elementals. That didn't count, though. That's a whole <laughs> asterisk by my whole year. That was me teaching. <laughs> oh, <up>. Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying, though. I I had it. I had yeah. it going in there. <laughs> yeah, like the other one was elves, and EOD likes elves normally. So. Oh yeah, yeah. That's always been kind of a thing. When I make a new army, it has to be able to beat the previous armies that I've played. So that's only natural. Hey Matt, what do you think about Scout though, and the effect that's going to be with the two new scenarios? We got hold the line and stockpile. I have some controversial thoughts on scenarios. Probably most controversial one is that all scenarios are just dominate with extra steps. Uh, and so realistically, the only scenario that EOD that isn't technically dominate, but I would still argue is just dominate with extra steps is invade, which yes, it'll help. And I do think it'll help infantry based armies. I think it can make it so that an infantry based army has a much better shot in dominate. But if you want to put it on enough units to really get that forward momentum to get there, if you're not doing what Dustin's describing where you're just throwing one or two units up as chaff pieces or potentially as a gimmick, uh, throwing like a horde of revenants as a shotgun thing. That's, that's what I call it where you basically you'll, you'll shove a horde as far forward as you can on the first turn and then just dump surge into it and like shove it all the way across the table on the first turn just to gum up someone's line. Because it turns out if you, you know, if you're across the table on turn one in the middle of an army with a horde footprint, you can really just shut someone's plan down pretty effectively so that i suspect we'll see some of that but if you want to really invest in this all infantry forward push that's actually going to add up on points and that's going to take away from the amount of units you would have it's going to take away from your unit strength so i don't actually know that that's going to be more effective but we'll see it also really puts you out there at risk because if you're going the full distance on the front line you're going to be out of inspiring range so Oh, yeah, absolutely. 
the, yeah. the full mont, the whole scout trick is usually great against people who are unexpected mid, you know, and when, with, but when you go against that player who plays all the freaking time, like Mr. Like pretty much all of us here, like, eh, like they're only ever going to get got once by that. After that, you see that much scout. You're like, Hey, I'm not deploying on the 12 inch line. Yeah. I'm going far back and we're going to play that, uh, that game. So it's, it's fun, but you're going to, you need to have more than one use for it. You can't just bum rush everybody, but it's a good tool to have. I will say, and to lead us into the next unit, because I'm sure Rob is, is looking at it, Revenants. So looking at Revenants in Clash now. Empire of Dust players across the world rejoice. We finally have our Defense 5 Revenants back. Well, I was going to ask, because the last time we did an army review, Adam had a whole tirade about this, that he didn't have the options. I did. So, I mean, they must have listened to you, Adam, and gave you what you've been praying for. They must have. And now I've played for skeleton with skeletons so long that I'm just like, I don't want revenants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're um, too expensive now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mostly just brings in line with the undead ones who get a similar change. Uh, but you, you start at defense five, you get your option to swap again. Uh, it gives you a little bit more flexibility. I do think that revenants are a good unit, especially at defense five, and especially in an army that has a lot of tools to bring life back between just the built-in life leech, soul snare, drain life from other sources, I resolve from Shobik, I can keep going. That's the unit that I think is going to benefit most from caskets in my mind, is going to be Revenants, especially for middle tape players. I think you're going to see a lot more Revenants, especially with Defense 5 and Scout making their way onto tables. Well, we I remember Steven, back when we playtested, he, uh, Stephen re- mentioned that a long time ago in our one of our reports that we did about the import, uh, the difference between the two because he's always like a revenant. He he ran a revenant spam list a couple times locally just because he was having forty almost forty unit strength and he just ran it and played flanks and he really enjoyed it. Obviously, he never got first at those local events, but yeah, always a bridesmaid. But uh, he had a good point, and uh, that option's now available. Now you can check your board with some Crush 1 if you want it, run raw with it. But like Matt said, it's more of a, if you're really going for a theme, that's the only way I would see Revenants being played. Well, speaking about Revenants, they come in a Troop Regiment Horde, 10, 12, 25 attacks, Nerve 13, 17, 24. 24, I mean, that's two higher than the previous two units. Now, you're paying for it, you know, what is it, like 60, 65 points over a Horde of Warriors, but defense five and two extra pips of Nerve is pretty good. And they hit on fours. And they hit on fours. And you have the option, again, to drop your defense down, as Matt alluded to, uh, and get Crushing Strength 1, and that's now free. Uh, or it is free and you can get that casket of the dam for five points. So obviously this is a unit that's probably going to see more play. It might not be excessive, but I think it's people are going to play it. Uh, the defense five is, is a different, uh, you know, before, if you wanted a pure anvil, you, you would take the mummies, right? Uh, and you might still take the mummies, but I think this is more of a hybrid role between mummies and in some of the warriors. You can't shrug off the dash 24. Yeah, and even in a regiment, that defense five dash seventeen for one hundred twenty five points is pretty nice. It, it you don't you don't really get much more value than that. So the the only option for defense five infantry prior to this was what the enslaved guardians and the mummies. That's it. Yep. Well, but who needs more than enslaved guardians and mummies? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. 
Not me. I think me and Adam are in agreement with that one. Uh, add some spears and some skellies, and you're, I'm, I'm pretty much home. Amen, brother. Yeah. <laughs> I I do think revenants are going to be competing most with mummies for the for the spot on the table. Um, that's for sure. Yeah, I can see that. Well, all right. We talked about mummies. Who doesn't love mummies? We're talking about a, well, they're a mighty speed five. So they're actually, they're faster than ancients and faster than dwarves. So not the slowest thing on the table, but melee four, it's, let's just say it's a, it's a good random factor for your opponents to try to judge and gamble. But the whole key is we're talking for regiment getting defense five, uh, defense five at dash 18 14 for a troop um, with region two life fleets crush two. your budget bar, uh, your bargain basement, 115 and 180. That's cheap as can be for one of the highest defense per millimeter. I guess you could get next to the anvil wise. You don't kill it. It's going to be around. It's like the Terminator. It's going to keep coming back for more. It doesn't show mercy, fear, or any pity. If we this whole panel, I think everyone's random. Even I think, didn't you run one before Matt? I've absolutely run mummies before. Yeah, I thought I thought you. I, my memory. I'm getting old, but my memory still served me well. I, I thought uh, we played with those on the field. Um, there, you could. There's a whole strategy and way of playing mummies that could whole change your mind. They're great surge targets. You could have missile troops. Uh, troops are great screens, but you could also, if you get somebody in the flank with that, it's still 20 attacks. Yes, it's hitting on fours, which will give the math hammer people. Uh, that's going to freak them out a little bit, but you know, they're not real gamers anyways. So it doesn't matter. But CS2 is nothing to scoff at. They're going to outgrind almost all other infantry, except for your hyper elite. So, you know, soul flare, Huskarl equivalencies. But uh, I think, uh, what do you, what do you other guys think about mummies? They're great. I think if I'm not mistaken, I think they are for infantry, the highest base nerve value of any infantry in the game. I don't think anybody even competes with them. I I don't think anybody's on the same level. There is no other unit in the game that can get dash 18. The new Twilight Kin with Rally 2 can get to a 17-19, but I would still take the dash 18 in a heartbeat. Oh, 100%. Right. Well, and and that's the thing. Like, Rally, Rally, there's multiple instances where Rally can get you up there, you know, competing with mummies, but just coming out of the gate, at a dash 18, at a dash 14 for that troop. That th- Those troops, they, they've they survived so many things. They, I, I've taken a regiment of Huskarls in the front three turns in a row, and they live. <laughs> so it, it's just nasty what they can do. And then it, it's the worst feeling when somebody bounces off of mummies, and then the next turn, you know, that 12, 13, 14 wounds they did is down to nothing. Yes. Zero. Yeah, <laughs> which happens more often than it doesn't. Yes, so. those usually the sleepers in the army. People just look at them and dismiss them, and to their it's to their own dismay that they find out that mummies are the, pretty much your hammer anvil. Well, that's going to take us through the infantry. Uh, let's get into ranged infantry. We'll start with skeleton archers. Speed five, melee uh, six plus, range five plus, defense three plus. Come in a troop regiment and horde. Uh, one, two, three unit strength, eight, 10, 20 attacks, and 11, 15, and 22 nerve, 70, 95, and 165. Life leech one, shambling, 24 inch bows. But 
the big change from Clash of Kings. You remove the, the bows and you add the following range attack, cursed bows, 24 inches, which is basically you get shattering. They don't hit a lot, period, but it's like fireball. You may not hit a lot, but if you land, you're just trying to land one to get the shattering. What are you guys thought to? Uh, yes. Three hordes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, t- I took three hordes. I made a pseudo gun. Uh, I got ha- uh, about half the points were in shooting. And uh, it's one of the lists that Steven said I couldn't bring because it's not fun. And uh, this was a while back, but three hordes was just 75 shots of 75 shots. And they're pretty good little anvils. Um, give them shattering. Uh, it's not bad for little tar pits, especially if Raw's in the list. That's good. That could uh, add for a bad time. Hordes of bowmen that are fearless is a pretty good start, right? Yes, yes. There's a local guy that he plays undead, but they're the same in the undead list. And he uh, always takes two troops uh, as like a frontline chaffer type unit, but they put out 16 shots, you know, and he picks up some chaff uh, with them. So they, they worked really well for him in the past. So when I was trying them, I was doing them. I had like four regiments of them at one point. Um, they're they're okay. Uh, they are better now with shatter, shattering, um, but you're pretty much only there to do like two wounds, maybe one or two wounds every round, and it's not a big enough threat that people are like, "All right, I got to do something about these archers." Because if they do, then the rest of your army is just going to uh, do whatever it wants. So, um, in my million games against Kyle Poole with Goblins, uh, I found they weren't efficient enough. Um, so I swapped over to the Deadeye Crossbows. And now I'm down to two regiments of those. And I don't think I'll ever leave home without those. I've always liked Skeleton Archers and Troops. Um, I don't often play slow EOD lists, but when I do, I you know would actually consider skeleton archers and troops, because um, dash. I mean, if you compare them to some of the other chaff in the army, like dash eleven with eight bow shots for seventy points is not terrible, um, and and they are fearless. So like the low defense doesn't really matter when you're just forcing your opponent to have to roll dice into them, basically, um, and. The shattering is mostly just a consistency thing with the chariot bows, so that they both have the same bows. Um, they probably still need a little bit of help in the long run, but this will hopefully push them to just being a little bit more attractive on the table. Something that uh, maybe could help them is one thing I noticed, they actually don't have access to the uh, scout uh, option. Is that right? Yep. If any units uh, were going to take it, I think it would be the uh, the ones that could shoot. So, But... I mean, I see your hesitation on your face, Matt. Just say it. I'm I'm always a little concerned because it actually already got brought up, which is Roz with these guys is sneaky yes, disgusting. Yes, yeah. Sometimes, yeah, yeah. Can you, you can a horde of these guys that suddenly goes from hitting on sixes to hitting on threes is pretty dis- hysterically disgusting. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta yeah. gotta give um, play, uh, people something to play with, some tools, some fun. Yeah. He can't. He Doesn't, can't do it on all three hordes of yeah. archers that Dustin took. It's only <laughs> one of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had to show some restraint. Yeah. 
All right, uh, Dead Eye Crossbows. Uh, they they sing a little bit of change. Uh, of course, you think of troop and regiment, no hordes. Uh, eight shots, ten shots, dash eleven, dash fifteen, ninety points, or one twenty for the regiment. Um, they hit on fives, but they do have elite ranged. Uh, still twenty four inches, so pretty comparable to the archers. Uh, they are Pierce one. And the one change we're seeing from Clash of Kings is they are losing pot shot. So you, you don't have to worry about hitting on sevens um, or half shot on sixes anytime you want to move them at all. So uh, that is that's pretty good. Like I said, I don't leave home without two regiments of these. Um, and hopefully with the new uh, no pot shot, I don't have to baby them as much with my characters for surging them on the first turn or blocking them from being surged. At least referring to the pot shot change, uh, ironically, EOD was the list I was worried less the least about it because they were already able to effectively cheat and ignore it. Right, so, the surge. Yeah, yeah. Well, Matt, why don't you take, why don't you take a, just a moment because I mean, pot shot as a rule is gone from the game. And what was the thought process there? I mean, without going too crazy into it, basically the, the short and sweet of it is there weren't a lot of units that had it. There were, I think, a total of maybe 15 at the top, um, somewhere between 10 and 15. Most of those, or every one of those units hit on fives. So when they were using pot shot, they were going to half dice on sixes. Removing pot shot made them go to sixes when they move and shoot. That was effectively what changes. So it's a still a very small boost because you're still on sixes to hit with those units, um, which is not great. Anyone can tell you. And it helps us remove a rule. I know that people have been saying this on Fanatics and other places as well. You know, hey, special rule creep or like additional rules in the game is something people are concerned about. This isn't necessarily like making up for everything that's been added or changed or altered in every single situation, but it is a case where we saw an opportunity to remove a rule without much of a penalty, and we did so. So we've removed a rule from the game. It's interesting to see the evolution because these units typically were reload in second edition, and then pot shite became a thing uh, to kind of mitigate. So it's interesting to see the evolution from reload where you couldn't move and shoot to where a pot shot you could move and shoot, but it's minus two, to now where if you move, it's just minus one. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's just a natural evolution. Yeah. So when are we going to remove the other things like, uh, I don't know, ignore obscure and uh, ignore conceal? <laughs> Preach. Yeah. I'll sign up for that. I think everybody's on board with that one. <laughs> yeah, as soon TM is my answer. As, as soon as possible. I'm, I'm a big fan of the kiss. So, if it didn't, I read through the yeah, book man, it, and I didn't see it. So if, if it didn't take up so much space to fix it, I would have, I would have tried to make it get into this clash. Anybody else have any thoughts on the uh, dead eye crossbows? Uh, so I think the big thing to call out is between the archers and the crossbows, the crossbows are uh, actually unlock where the archers are irregular yeah. at this point. So, uh, and that was a change just last year where the crossbows got the unlock ability. Uh, and I was expecting to see a lot more of them uh, this uh, this year because of that. Uh, but I think Andy was the only one I saw taking them. 
I'm on a boat of one. So I, I think because they unlock, they're extremely valuable in the army. Uh, whereas I think the archers not unlocking, it, they, they take kind of a secondary role. Uh, unless you're looking for a horde of shots, uh, then they're your only option. So I like the regiments. I If I were building an EOD gunline style list, trying to combine again, like troops of archers, uh, enslaved guardian archers, skeleton dead eye crossbow regiments, and like just maybe throw in some of those screaming uh, the catapults in on top of it. Like you can make a pretty nasty gun line um, backed up by monsters to basically try to keep things at bay. And it's all fearless and yeah, you're low defense, but you're cheap and fearless. So you're never going to waver and never going to get disordered, meaning you're going to be shooting until you're dead. So uh, it is a viable list strategy. I don't think you win an event with it, but you'll definitely wreck some people's hopes and dreams with it. Yeah, the fact that they unlock is not to be understated, considering all your other shooting options are all irregular. So that's huge deal. I mean, so for instance, Andy, you probably have no problems with unlocks, I imagine, in your army. Oh, uh, no, not at all. I do take more characters and more, yeah, just more characters than most people do, I think. So. Uh, I think that's a standard EOD approach. <laughs> we tend to use our unlocks very well. Yeah, I, I use every one of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I build a list around what do I need to unlock. That's uh, that's about yep. it. You guys are blasphemers. I have so many unlocks I don't use because <laughs> yeah, the infantry yeah. are so good that I just take more than I need. <laughs> I've done that strength. lately. As of late, I've been doing that. But before unit strength was a thing, it didn't matter <laughs> back in like early version two. Uh, looking at Revenant Cav, so our first Cav unit of the list, and... I would like to pretend our only one sometimes. Yeah. Uh, speed eight, melee four, defense five. Troop is unit strength one, eight attacks, dash 14, 115 points. Uh, possibly one of the best troop chaffs in the entire game. Uh, regiment is unit strength three, 16 attacks, dash 17, 175 points. Life leech one, shambling thunder two, uh, with the revenant and skeleton keywords, respectively. I, I already said it, but I'll say it again. The troop is possibly one of, if not the best piece of chaff in the game. I agree with you for undead. For, for EOD, the whole army's chaff. But, uh, yes. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, Revenant Cav, they're just so good. Yeah. I do wish we had a horde option, but that's just me being jealous of my the other guys, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Be really good in, in EOD with the ability <laughs> yeah, to heal it. Yes, 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 yes. With EOD's anvil. Base attacks and to be able to give it melee Raw. three yeah, from Roz. Yeah. With Roz, it's like okay, you're really going to get punished, people. Reasons it doesn't need to be an EOD, but oh, yeah. I, I mean, heck, the the regiments are super budget at 175. Like I know people diss on hitting on fours, but when you're a dash 17 defense five, you don't really worry about the damage. And the big thing with, and I'll talk more about it when we get to chariots. But the big thing with revenant cav regiments to me is that. You're speed eight with shambling, and you have a huge amount of threat projection with that. Like, yeah, you only hit on fours, but if you can get to a flank, that's 36 attacks on fours of Thunderous 2 for 175 points. Like, it's it's dirt cheap for that output, and they're difficult to remove uh, if they fail for some reason. So... Uh, and the troops that dash 14 are, like, they're, the, they're a mummy troop that doesn't have the staying power of mummies, but... They've got the speed eight to basically shove them in front of 
half the stuff in the game without any issues. Um, well, you, you hit the nail on the head, man. Like when you, I look at a surge army, I just automatically assume all the units with shambling you have double attacks because you're going to get flanks. It's just it's not win. It's just a matter. Of, uh, it's just a matter of time, pretty much. It's not if, which it's unit. Yeah. yeah, which unit's going to be flanking somebody today? Yeah, and and that troop is the exact same points as a mummy troop, and. Yeah. You know, so if you're going with a faster army, the rev cab troop is the way to go. If you're going with the infantry slower army, the mummy troop, because it can recover after taking the punch better than the cav. But, um, but yeah, they're absolutely great. I just don't play fast armies. Yeah, in <laughs> undead. There's also, I mean, there's reasons for the height too. Potentially, like there's so many different good pieces of cheap chaff in EOD. Like, Dustin's statement about the whole army is chaff is true. <laughs> but like, <laughs> if you want to talk cheaper chaff, like, not tar pit hordes of skeleton stuff, like, yeah, yeah. you got Revcav troops, you got swarms, you've got mummy troops, you've got quality uh, skeleton archer troops. <laughs> yeah. We got your thick chaff, we got your expendable chaff, we got your fast chaff, we got your nimble chaff, we got your... Oh... Oh, shooty chaff. <laughs> you got yeah, your turbo chaff. Right. Yeah. You got your chaff with crush two. And you, oh, yeah. And the best part is almost all of them are fearless, which yeah. is the best rule to have when you are chaff. Yes. It's because you don't get bogged down in front of people. And then, like, oh, I guess you're just going to have to sit behind your unit for the next turn while I shoot at you or do whatever else I want to do. I'll, I'll let Rob read them off uh, for uh, Devlin. I mean, they come in a tro- trooper or regiment, uh, speed nine, which is nice. Uh, Malay 4+, plus, range 5+, plus, defense 3+, plus, 1 and 2 unit strength, 7 and 14 attacks, 12 and 15 nerve. And their points are actually adjusted. They actually got cheaper by 5 points. So 95 for the troop and 150 for the regiment. They still have life leech 1, nimble, shambling, short bows, 18 inches, and steady aim. You're right. Now many of you guys are playing these guys? I can see a use for them if you build around it. But yeah. Like- but we all have our certain styles. Like me and Adam are more on the hyper grind style. And like, uh, I guess I think it would fit probably Andy's list style the best. It seems more, more hybrid or even Matt's because Matt's is so fast. I could see it, but the problem is it competes with Revenant cabin chariots for you. Right. Doesn't it? Right. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's usually where the problem lies. Nah, the, the problem is that they're irregular. Yeah. That that's actually the biggest issue. And if they weren't a regular, they'd almost be too good because especially with Roz, yeah. there you have a speed unit that can keep pace with Roz. Well shit, these guys are melee four? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't realize they were melee four even. I I just you know over never never played them. <laughs> just like oh, uh, yeah, they're not infantry. Okay, pass. <laughs> yeah, melee four is still good, and the fact that it's nimble, the surge shenanigans you could catch people off guard with is really good. Add on the Ross factor, uh, but uh, with them, if I'm flanking people with surges, I probably want a bane chant, and then then you go into cast attacks. And yeah, as, I never run. I, I try not to run bane chant ever anymore. I've stopped running that a long time ago. I I don't think they're a bad unit. But I think if you want to run them, you kind of have to build pretty heavily into them. Um, And it's just not a style that I think anyone here would play. Doesn't necessarily mean it wouldn't work. But uh, 
Well, you think about it, like I've already done that style of army, right? As you yeah. elves. I mean, <laughs> yeah. elves just do it better. Yes, these are fearless, but if you're gonna go a nimble, shooty unit, you're you're not really playing EOD for that style of army, right? So they're they're just really oddly placed in the army to give a flavor, but. I just never have seen people actually excel at it using EOD versus just going to a different army and playing that. That sounds about right. Yeah, the the role that they would fill, they're getting decimated at in that role anyway, of fighting other like archers, for example. But at defense three, they're just going to get shot off the table. Yeah, the, yeah. They don't. The light cav realm is not really needed with EOD, if that makes sense. It, it can be used, but you're almost you're almost hamstringing yourself. This is the other thing about it, and it's maybe a little bit of a kind of tricky thing to predict. They also don't have Mantic models right now, so it's one of those things where, especially when looking at providing options for the army, I didn't want to push too hard on units that don't have mantic support because I don't want people going out and being like, oh my gosh, let me build a million skeleton archer cav. And then mantic's like, ah, well, we're never going to make those. So they're gone. And then it'll be upset. Yeah. They got some, some correction love. Like they're closer to what their equivalent units and other lists are. But yeah, you still kind of have to build into them. I mean, they are fast. The only thing faster that's not a hero are the, uh, the scavengers, right? And make them work. Speed nine shambling and hitting on fours catches people out it's time to get to matt's favorite topic uh if you ever you know catch matt at a tournament and you want him to opine for an hour just say chariot yeah i thought we were skipping this section (laughs) 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 yeah yeah. (laughs) brother matt has prepared a sermon for us yeah let us hear it today Honestly, it's the Pharaoh Chariots, man, that I like more than this. But the the Revenant Chariots, uh, Speed 8, Melee 4, Range 5+, plus Defense 4. They come in four different options, of which you'll only ever take two of. They have Troop with 8 attacks, 14 nerve, and 110 points. A Regiment with 12 attacks, 16 nerve, and 140 points. A Horde with 16 attacks, 18 nerve, and 175 points. And a Legion with 20 attacks, 21 nerves, and 205 points. Unit strength one, two, three, four, so it's easy to remember. Uh, brutal, life leech one, shambling, thunderous two, with the option to buy cursed bows, a range 18, steady aim, uh, five plus, attacks four, six, eight, and ten, with shattering, respectively. Uh, also with the revenant and skeleton keywords. The regiments are where it's at. That's that's my personal opinion here. Uh, the, the legion still has a place as the giant super mobile anvil that you can shove in front of things and it has the largest footprint in the game uh, to just take up space and say hey you gotta remove this and it's a good unlock piece which uh, we mentioned a little bit earlier but EOD is an army where you you are desperately trying to unlock things everywhere all the time and the legion definitely can provide those options unless you're Adam who's shaking his head at me the horde is an, an unfortunate uh side effect of having an awkward footprint being too wide for what it wants to do. Um, but the regiments are just the the perfect size and for 140 points, they're dirt cheap for dash 16 nerve and their speed. They have the 
a slight reduction in the offensive output of RevCav, but Brutal makes up for it. So you get the offensive package of RevCav for less points and a more efficient package in my mind, um, with or without the five points to take the six bow shots. Like I think that's a steal for what you get for six bow shots for five points, but I've run it with them and without them, and they're still good. So why not the troop, Matt? The only real reason to run the troop in my mind is for shenanigans with like the God, what is that item called? The checkpoint nimble item? Skirmisher boots. boots. Skirmisher boots, thank you. Um, That's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. you can do that and you can do squ- uh, even without nimble, you could just do a pivot, walk away and surge type of thing. But in all the situations where that would be the case, you're going to lose your thunderous and with only eight attacks, you're not going to do anything. You're looking to have either a cheap chaff unit you can throw into things or a unit that can get to flanks with its speed eight and just suddenly become a 24 attack unit that hits on fours with thunders two and brutal Um, and combos with the other good fast units in the list, in my opinion, or now better units because Adam's going to shake his head and tell me Pappy's bad. Well, even I could tell you that, but right. Who knows? We haven't gotten to his updates yet. Yeah. Oh, true. We're talking old Pappy. I see Rob bumping the formation up. Yeah, I mean, it's probably a good time to talk about the formations. Oh, I love the formation. The Bone Shakers, which is two Revenant Chariot regiments, one Revenant Chariot Legion, and one Revenant Champion. And that's a formation cost of 45 points. But what you get is the Revenant Champion in this formation must purchase an undead horse mount. The Revenant Champion and the Revenant Chariot regiments in this formation gain Rampage D3 special rule. The Revenant Chariot Legion in this formation gains Rampage D6. So it's a what you know for 45 points, it is a way to get it a little bit more hitty, though you are having to pay the tax of the Revenant Champion. I don't know. What are you guys' thoughts on the formation? I'm in absolute love of the formation. And I'm also a guy who owns so back in my day, let's go that way, EOD uh, only had regiments and hordes. Now they're legions. And I ran those for most of my time playing EOD. You mean yeah. you ran over me? Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. I, I recall <laughs> Shiloh Slaughter, my, my poor <laughs> ogres. Hey, the, the amount of shenanigans you could do with that uh, that 150 by 200, you could hold two objectives. You could, you could back then you could drop uh, you, the drop uh, in front of yourself, move eight, pick it up. You still technically do that. Yeah. It's not as much inches as you could get away with before. And, uh, God, you going around terrain, it was, I like the bus approach, but, um, the formation, I think it's a bargain. Uh, people get hate on the Revenant champion for all he wants, but still four attacks. He's a Rev King, uh, another surge caster on top of that. You're getting for 45 points. You're getting three D three rampage and D six rampage with the change to the bone giant. Yeah, and I think what you're going to start seeing more infantry all around after the Twilight Kin and everything like that, more targets for Rampage. I see it as a total win. I didn't touch on it when I was going through my thing, but the other nice benefit of the Chariots versus the Revcat is they don't suffer the hindered Phalanx penalties. And yeah, if yeah. Phalanx is going to become a bit more prevalent, then they'll have that small, And they don't care about advantage. Rampage or Slayer. They're like yep. right in the middle. Yep. They're mean. Yeah. You still don't get the TC, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, you still, you still get the TC, TC, but, uh, but not the minus one from the front. 
Yeah. Yeah. And if Raw's involved, which you can build a list around him, 20 attacks hitting on threes is still 20 attacks hitting on threes. Right. For, well, struggling is let me get change that 40 attacks because you're going to be flanking somebody. So strongly like or dislike the formation. Um, it's it's one that honestly technically should have changed because we're trying to push uh, ambush boxes for the formation, not to sell them, but because we think it's a good transition idea for people who play ambush to be able to buy an ambush box, get to play ambush games, and then easily convert that into a Kings of War army. And EOD does have an ambush box, so technically there's should have changed, but we also were tight on space. And it's still a good formation. And it's already a good formation, so it's really tough to get rid of something that was Is working and seeing play. Right. Yeah, it was, it's pseudo-popular. You actually saw it. There's certain formations you never see. And that, that's one of the ones that's like, oh, you're taking the formation? Huh, how are you doing? And most of the people who play it really enjoy it, seems like. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was fun when I ran it in the past. I I think... If anything, the the regiment cost for the formation could come down by like five points each, just to make it a little cheaper. But like that's just mostly because every time I see that that D six, I'm like, it's so swingy, it's so yeah, swingy. Like when you roll a one, it feels really bad, but when you roll that six, it feels really good, right? Yeah, yep, yep. I respect that. Just make it D three plus three, Matt. Yeah, Give us, uh, some consistency. Yeah, statistician trying to make it go to you know, I want it to be more consistent. <laughs> It feels like the the biggest tax on the formation is having to take the champion. He's still good though, because yeah, D- Dustin's completely yeah. right. He is a revenant king, so he's dash. I mean, we'll get into his stats later, but like, they're good. They're a good yeah. character. Also, with him getting the rampage D three as well, um, you could easily give him duelist and make it a hero hunter, uh, and that you know, getting an extra D3 attacks and then doubling can be pretty nasty, even if you're hitting on fours. When we when we played the no withdrawal test, for, uh, played, when, how long ago was that when we play tested that uh, with Steven? That was the list. Was I ran them a bunch of bone dragons and bone giants and raw, and I ran the formation. So since no one could withdraw, I was able to lock people into place and force flanks, and he was a major factor of it because... I was able to go 16 inches and pin people. The extra D3 attacks made him reliably do one wound. And yep. with EOD, that his, his fearless 14, that's going to last a lot longer than people think. So uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. Uh, I think it's it's not, there's more overpowered formations we all know, which ones we're talking about. Coffin, Elf, <clears throat> Elf. Um, but uh, <laughs> but uh, there's more powerful formations. But to me, that's that one's one of the more flavorful ones, which I like. I think flavorful formations are my favorite thing in the game. Does anybody want to jump in and talk about the the, the Worm Riders? I think uh, Matt Matt needs to be on that one too, because uh, wasn't that one of your childs? No, this one. Uh, shout out to I want to say it was Pat who pushed to get these back in the army. Um, actually, r- real shout out goes to Mark Taylor for pushing to get these back in the army. Yeah, I remember him. Him his uh, adamantness. I did run the second edition version of these when they were fearless. Uh, and I loved them back then. I remember fighting those on with you. <laughs> yeah. The, the new ones, um, they're good for different reasons. Um, I don't run them cause they don't fill the same role that they used to in my list. But, uh, anyway, I'm, I'm skipping the stats. So yeah, <laughs> uh, speed seven. So they've got a nice midline speed, melee four defense five, um, unit strength, uh, they're, they're regiment horde, they're large caps, they're height four, uh, unit strength two and three, respectively, 12 attacks and 24 attacks. So they've got a slightly higher attacks, but they're melee four to compensate. 
1315. They're one of the only non-fearless units in the army. Uh, 135 points for the regiment and 1618, 225 points for the horde. Uh, they are crushed one, life leech two, and pathfinder. Um, so they bring pathfinder to the list, which is something that EOD don't have a lot of base. Um, they do have some striders spread throughout the list, but pathfinder is not something they have access to. Um, and they're not shambling, so they can at the double. They can actually move across the table. And Life Leech 2 plays into the usual EOD strengths of just being damn hard to pick up and kill. Um, on top of that, they have both the Revenant and Skeleton keywords, so usually when I see these played, it's in Ra's lists. Yeah. They seem to have run hand-in-hand, hand, not... He, they could run up a flank with him, be like the him or other pharaohs. Yeah, they could go their sixteen inches. The fact that the, my favorite addition was the fact that they got life leech too. I thought that was just that was great because before I was like, eh, but you don't think that would matter? But wow, now you could net a positive if someone just does one wound, you're gonna get a wound back in return. Um, I like that as a whole. Um, you could take one with the item if you wanted to, or to keep them naked. Uh, I don't tend to run them. I play EOD because I, I like, well, I just like Surge a lot. Um, uh, however, I see the use and the utility of that unit. It can help add a speed element to our fairly slow army. Yeah, personally, I really like the regiment more than the horde. The horde feels like a hammer, but um, I just feel like our guardians do better on pretty much every level with it. So, uh, the regiment though, you know, 1315 for 135 points is still pretty, pretty beefy and you can throw five points more on it and give it the staying stone, making it a 1415. So it's, uh, up there competing then with your, uh, mummy troops and your revenant, uh, troops, uh, for the nerve value. It is a little bit more expensive, but the trade-off is you are getting unit strength two. 12 attacks, Pathfinder with speed 7, so you're able to really get them in places that they otherwise weren't going to be, uh, and they're not shambling as well, which uh, is is very useful for, for a chaff-type role. Yeah, I was going to say, what's the definition of thick chaff? Where does the line get drawn for thick chaff? Is this thick chaff? It's uh, how many squats can they do? That's, that's what makes yeah. it. They have to have some hammies. This is thick, but only with a single K, chaff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, there's C's. Yeah, Come there's on, three C's. Ashley will destroy you. Yeah, I need three C's. Show my age, apparently. Thick with a single C, and then, yeah, then you've got... How is this only a single C thick? Yeah. How is a defense 5, 13, 15 single C thick? We'll call it two C's, because it's not, it's not a skeleton horde. Like, it's not fair. And I like the fact that I had four. Yeah. See over hills and stuff. All right. Well, it's time to get into some swarms. Andy, you want to take us through the desert swarm? Uh, sure. You guys are talking about chaff. This is chaff. All right. Desert swarm, speed six, melee five plus, uh, no shooting, defense two. It's like uh, they can only be regiments or hordes. Of course, uh, nine attacks, 18 attacks. Both of those are unit strength one, though. Dash 12, dash 15, the two. 60 points for a regiment. At height one, it's an important height. Uh, then the, the horde is a hundred points. Life leech one, scout shambling. I think these guys have one job, and one job only, and that is to sit in front of your soul snare and make sure it never gets charged by anything. 
That being said, uh, it having scout and the new infantry having scout possibly possibly with the casket, there may be some play there now. Um, it'd be kind of interesting how that goes in testing. Yeah, I know before it was uh, Devlin that was the huge champion of you always take one of these. It always goes in front of your uh, soul snare. It's an uh, inherent 60-point upgrade for the soul snare, effectively, is what how he put it. Um, I've, I've found different ways to protect my soul snare, so I've never actually run them like that. But I, in general, I do like them for being cheap, they're only five points more than a troop of uh, skeletons, um, and they they still do the same effective job. Yeah, I've been torn on running them before. I've, but I, they always competed with the skeleton troop for me. And but I, if you're really going to push the envelope with the speed unit, getting this twelve, you know, right up the field in front of it, I can see the use of it. Even for a bone dragon to do like a hop, like kind of a hopscotch, bait them in to charge it, and then you could do your the old, uh, you know. What what's that called? Like rock'em sock'em kind of fake out with the bone dragon. So jump over nimble nimble surge rear easy game between uh, bone dragon and bone giants. That was like it took, once you caught on to that. Everyone caught on to that. I, I kind of lost it, but man, when I when that was fresh, man, that caught many people by surprise. <laughs> I do like the sixty point upgrade to the soul snare, um, but that's also because I don't have as many chaff pieces to throw around the soul snare uh, for keeping it covered. It also acts kind of as a, as a height shield for some of the other pieces. So when it's not covering the soul snare, it's also usually covering Pappy and keeping him always available. Technically a rev cap troop can do that too, but um, for the points, like it's, it's really cheap. Like 60 points is really easy to squeeze into a list. Um, it is usually the first thing I drop, though, if I'm tight for points and I have to drop a unit. Next, we got Scavengers. Uh, they are also a swarm. They are uh, the flying type, though, so speed 10, uh, hit on 5s, defense 4. Uh, we have a Regiment and a Horde. Regiment has 9 attacks, Horde has 18. Uh, 11, 13 nerve for the Regiment, 14, 16 for the Horde. And then you got 90 points in the regiment, 150 in the horde. Uh, so like I mentioned, fly. Then they have life leech too. And they are nimble. And uh, if I am quoting Matt uh, directly, they are complete garbage. <laughs> uh, so I'm mostly just trolling at him. Brother Matt had his, uh, had his little rant going on earlier about chariots. So here's mine on scavengers. <laughs> Uh, if you're going to play a slower army, uh, a melee infantry focused type army, you're going to take the scavengers because they win games. They win scenarios. They allow you to actually play a very slow, a very grindy army because you have the threat of these guys just going over and taking a table quarter or uh, picking up a loot token when otherwise nothing else in your army could. So... These guys also are great because they are height three. So you sit them behind your infantry. You can see over them. And so you can get uh, charges off to block things up instead of having to try and situate them one inch away from your enemy. So scavengers are great. They win games. Uh, take two. <laughs> I, I got to admit that the height is what gets me with them. Their height it blows my mind. 
Like, uh, it was yeah. the perfect screen just because of the height. Um, I don't tend to run them, but I have in the past, and I, the height is what I always paid the points for, was moving that height and getting in somebody's way. That's very valuable. I am trolling at it when I say that they're they're terribly they're they're a very good unit because they're dirt cheap speed ten. You can play a scenario with them, especially in an army that struggles to have any sort of projection of units to get places. Um, this is the only unit that realistically can do that, unless you want to try to invest in, I guess, Sanborn Wormrider regiments to get like half of that speed and still not be as useful. Um, my biggest thing is even without the scenario play, there's speed 10 that you can throw that has a, a wide enough footprint that you can just throw in front of things and say, Hey, you've got to remove this. And that can buy you critical turns to position and get ready to do all the surge tricks you need. And that's, I mean, it's the same thing with phantoms. It's the same thing with, you know, insert speed 10 or nine chaff unit here. They're great. Um, yeah. And, and you're right, because they're wide enough, uh, I, I've had several times where I just charge something uh, like a monster or a titan, and they overhang far enough that I block over uh, block up two units that are directly on either side of that unit as well. Yep. So I'm throwing one piece of chaff away to block up three whole units and loving it. Uh, but it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't, because if you don't, if you, like, say, leave that unit slightly further back, you're opening up the possibility of a surge flank on the units that it otherwise was protecting. Yep. So they they really add an extra layer into the mini game that is the, the surge army. If you have them just half an inch too far to the left, they can allow your opponent to surge, like... And slave guardians into the flank. That <laughs> <laughs> oh, so sounds like that's a recent memory, huh? <laughs> that height too. It's just so clutch to be height three instead of two. If they were two, I, I would actually probably be a little bit more uh, critical of them because the the my biggest reason that I don't like them personally is the non fearless because they still waver, can still cause issues, but that doesn't mean they're bad. That's just a very personal take on it. But if they were only height two, I'd be a lot more critical. Height three is huge. It's true. But even for a wavering unit, like 90 points, defense for 11, 13 is solid. It, oh, yeah. it surprises people yeah. a lot of times when they're when they roll, you know, a nerve test and they, they you know, get a 10 total. And I'm like, yep, they're fine. Uh, what do you mean they're fine or they roll a 12 and i'm like yeah they're not dead they're just waver yeah. what do you mean but they're not dead yeah, <laughs> yeah. they're like, a, yep they're a slightly dirtier version of the shadow hounds same durability just not as much scariness that 11 13 catches people by their by their pants quite a bit okay so, so i'll go with the slave guardians there are there are premier hammer slash large infantry unit they're speed six melee three defense five they're going to have nine attacks, 18 attacks, respectively, with 14 uh, nerve and a 17 nerve. Points is going to be 135 for regiment, 225 for a horde. With c- crushing two, life leech one, and shambling, they're losing cask of the dam. So sorry, fellas, you can't scout them up the board. But they still retain the wind blast for five or 20 points. If you if you build around it, the 20 it, it could come into effect, but 20 points is expensive. Take these guys naked, give them sharpness, give them an item if you wanted to, but uh, naked and so, uh, naked with some good quality surge 
this is our hammer that pays off with everything else being a anvil. And even saying it's still defense 5-17, life leech 1. Uh, it's If it fails to kill it on its surge or charge, even if you will, uh, it's probably going to outgrind most units. Uh, I know that I think everybody on this panel has at least ran them once. But like An- Andy just put in our message board, it's just another 225-point chaff unit, which uh, <laughs> technically he's not wrong because, like I said, I think the only thing I don't use as chaff is Sepik Ray, and that's about it. Uh, and that's he's probably the only thing I don't tend to sacrifice, and even he might get sacrificed eventually. I think everyone on this panel's ran it successfully at a GT. Um, I have I've, I've ran anywhere from running only one as a counter puncher, which worked great, to running five hordes before. Um, you name it, it could be uh, it could be run. Yeah, even in the the speed versions of EOD that I've put together, both the the rev cab heavy one and the chariot heavy one, um, with the lack of the uh, old worm riders, which used to have a bucket load of attacks, these guys fill the uh, the void. So I still run them as a as you just said one unit as a backup counter puncher. Um, it can still keep pace with speed six and a little bit of pushing from surge. Uh, I actually usually buy iron resolve plus one to them. And then with Shobik, that's effectively iron resolve two. So if people want to try taking pot shots at them, they just, just ridiculously difficult to pick off the board. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you run them naked too, and they're still great. 225 points for that profile is a steal. I always like taking one of my hordes with J boots. I find that uh, a lot of times you got to go into the woods or behind a fence to take somebody out. And this is one of the units that can do it. So might as well have them hitting on threes all the time. Oh yeah. J boots is a classic choice with them. And if you have 15 points to spend, why not? Right. It's usually one of my only magic items in my most recent list. So <laughs> uh, the f- the funnest item I've ever taken, uh, and y'all could always talk to the steam Tom Anus. Uh, <laughs> he uh, I put, took sharpness on one horde, and that was a lone wolf. Well, I think the lone wolf you won, Adam. I ran that one, and I don't. I flanked his revenant calf horde with it, and he did not know what to do with that. Die. That that's what he did. He died. <laughs> <laughs> when at first glance, I was like, most uh, sharpness on a unit like that is usually a waste. But considering how, f- if you really focus on your surge game, you can get that at any target you want. Yeah, and that hit on twos really paid off. So that's one of the few units I w- I'm willing to play sharpness on. I think I'm the only one here that doesn't actually use them in every list that they write for EOD. I don't take them at all on my current list. One day, my young friend. One day. I used to take just their archer brethren. Uh, I've modeled mine so that I can mix and match however I want between the guardians and the guardian archers. So yeah, and and you can run both. I know Bryce Clark's been pl- uh, playing with like a it's like a hybrid of uh, archers and and slave guardians. I have so many extra EOD kits that he's wanting to. And we might have to do a trade in the future. Speaking of those Guardian Archers, we have them up next. So, uh, enslaved Guardian Archers, uh, large infantry, uh, speed six, hit on fives at range, hit on fours in melee, defense four. 
they have a regiment and a horde option. They're only unit strength one and two, respectively. Nine attacks, 18 attacks, dash 14, dash 17. Uh, and then they're 140 for the regiment and 135 for the horde. They are Crush One, Life Leech One, Shambling. They have heavy crossbows with 30 inch range uh, and piercing two. And they lost Pot Shot. They also lost Casket at the Dam, which I, oh, yeah. Like, that would have actually been useful on them now, but no. Uh, so yeah, I, I used to, well, in, in my recent lists, I haven't been playing them, um, but I do still enjoy uh, a couple of hordes of them. I think they're fine naked. They also get really good value out of elite or vicious. Um, I also used to run one with J boots because these guys always ended up in a forest or behind a wall and just shooting out of it. And then people would wander too close, and then I just run over and surge into a flank, and they, they still hit on fours and thirty six attacks in the flank with crushing one. It it does something. So, um, yeah, I, I like these guys. They're they're a true switch hitter. Um, the things that I found that they really struggle with though is uh, I feel like there's a lot of anti shooting uh, around, so it's tough to have more of a stationary type unit like this. Uh, firing away um, so they aren't getting their value out of their shooting as much anymore um, and then also the unit strength value on these guys with a horde only being unit strength two um, i i like my eod being a little bit more beefy on that unit strength stat overall so i can i can respect that uh, the other one uh have you ever tried running two regiments just as like in uh, like maybe two regiments and one i know you used to run the one horde with elite and that which was a great unit that was all time but uh if you're you what's your thoughts on two regiments of them uh, i don't think it's bad I, I think it allows you to uh play on more sides of the board but i think the issue that i always ran into was it's yeah. so much uh space uh for your like your front line um, that I always struggled uh, to fit anything more than just the two hordes that I had in a shooting lane. So having two regiments and maybe another horde on top of that, that that's enough shooting to overpower something to really threaten to pick it up in a single round of shooting. It, it's just a lot tougher to get all of those in a lane of firing that's the only reason why I think I haven't done regiments. You're right. I remember you're, uh, you you had a good run with two hordes of them, always getting them on that hill, kind of like what Andy does with his crossbows. You control a large swath of the board. It's just right after you started running that, you started seeing Night Stalkers, the Ogre, the Stealth Bubble uh, stuff, and then you started seeing Veil. Like you just started when they added Veil to every army list. It kind of hurt a lot of shooting armies, unless you're playing on like a board with no terrain. Uh, that's the only time it seems like EOD hurts. Right now with the current meta, yeah, especially with the new Twilight Kin bubble, that might be hard to worth investment, if you will. I forget. Did anybody else run these? I had run them before when I did both gunline EOD styles and foot EOD styles in lots of testing games and practice games and whatnot. Um. I I like them. I like them in hordes specifically. I, I definitely like the one horde with elite, one horde with vicious, and just pelting shots into things. Um, 
you have enough shots that against armies that either don't take veal or have units that are exposed or and even if they do you can still hit on sixes to things in the front and if you throw enough dice they're piercing too anything that hits is gonna hurt as long as you're not throwing stuff into like high defense targets that are also stealthy and also in cover then the nicest thing about them for me is that because they're shambling you can effectively i mean again before you could ignore the pot shot rule now you can still ignore the pot shot rule that's gone and ignore the move and shoot penalty that they never had to take anyway. To me, they, they feel like super easy to position artillery pieces that score. And if you, God forbid, you didn't have stealthy because they will just shred things. You hit the nail on the head like a man. I, I think I ran them. I didn't, I, I ran them at locals. I didn't want to paint any new ones for GT. Plus in the South, as Matt could attest, we have a we we like our fair share yeah, of terrain. Generous helping. Yeah, so like you're, it's it's usually not advisable, especially with some of our missions. You're looking at uh, not even stealth, but lots of terrain, and we have a couple of missions that'll be another negative one to hit. And at that point, might as well go uh, melee or one shooting unit. I don't know. I I won with them in the south, so I don't know why you guys are complaining. All the shooting units to take, they can also cheat the terrain penalty. So you can, you can surge them into terrain and not take the minus one from that, too. Like, it's it's one of the best uh, heavy shooting units in the game, frankly. Five plus, at least, shooting units. You don't have steady aim? No problem. <laughs> Here, I'll give it to you by surging you. <laughs> I've done my fair share of abusing shooting, and so has other people. <laughs> so it's like, uh, it's just, uh, it's not a steady sure. bet, if you will. And plus, over here, it's like, uh, I got a, fe- a fellow dojo guy bad listed me one time because my mortars hit every round in version two. So uh, <laughs> so it was kind of ironic. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, uh, sh- the shooting, you have so many good options in this army. Well, and I think the height of their power, now that I kind of look back at it, was uh, right before Glade Stalkers got their really big first buff. So the and the uh, Elven Archers got nerfed going into third edition. So it was kind of a dead space for shooting units. Uh, there, there wasn't like a really prevalent shooting unit or shooting army. Uh, there was a couple of the Abyssal Dwarf armies that had a ton of uh, um, what's it called? A ton of war machines, but there wasn't like a unit scoring and shooting. Uh, at, at long range at that point in the, the meta. So I think that's really where they shined. Uh, if I pulled them out, you know, at an event, uh, competitive event here now, I, I doubt that they're going to do what they did before. So moving along here, talk about shooting, probably the biggest anti-shooting piece that I've used so far, the reanimated behemoth. Uh, that's a, was it 190 points of dash 17 defense six on a chariot base? Uh, speed six, melee three, crush two, life leech one, slayer d6, shambling strider, and some you could spend 30 points to give it drain life as well if you wanted to. <laughs> uh, I really like this thing. Uh, I take two of them right now. <laughs> Uh, I think for the points, it's absurd uh, for what it can do. It uh, There's a lot of shooting here in the southeast. I, I say a lot of my games, I have just deployed them sideways right on the front line. 
and just okay. If you're gonna shoot something, all you see is the side of a behemoth, <laughs> <laughs> and I have veil. So good luck. the The troublesome units that you want to take out, it's got Slayer four, it's got Strider, so you don't have to worry about much. The only thing you have to worry about is the big side, but if you make that as much as an advantage as a disadvantage, there's really no downfall to it other than the fact that it's a single 190-point unit. The fact it's on a chariot base means it's uh, its middle of its unit is farther back. It's the same thing with the mammoth, right? So when you pivot, you can you can do some other stuff that you might not be able to do with other, other unit sizes. Yeah, you could bypass a lot with your surges as well. Right. You just have to be careful to not give up those flanks. <laughs> just tank it. That's what defense six is for, baby. Come on. <laughs> yeah, you can give up flanks and it'll still live. It's fine. With melee three monsters also great. Yeah, this thing has had a quite the roller coaster of stat changes over the life of third edition. Because uh, I'm pretty sure it started at melee four with no Strider, and then it got Strider, and it got melee three, and then it got Slayer. And then it got the plus one nerve. And I just completely missed whenever it got the plus one nerve. Because I, I knew about the Slayer. I was like, I think that finally made it compete against the Bone Giant when that happened. Mostly because the Bone Giant was still kind of just wallowing and not being a real giant. It was stuck in but time. Yeah. The yeah. nerve jump, I think, is what sealed it. Um, and that's when the rolls flipped. And instead of the Bone Giant being the go-to monster and the Behemoth kind of being the, like utility maybe you take it maybe you build into it but realistically you take the giant because it just has a better stat block now it's not it wasn't even a contest before clash you take the behemoth every time in my mind like you you didn't care about the speed seven on the giant compared to the defense 6-17 for how cheap it is like it was it's ridiculous the giant lost relevancy once the the slayer rule came out and then the changes to surge, which we could all lament yeah. on later, which I know Adam he feels my pain. Uh, <laughs> uh, as a, as the guy who like I loved obviously monsters and especially bone giants were my favorite monster list. Actually, I think that was my first real monster. Li- no, night stalkers and them were my first uh, monster list. And uh, the reanimated steal the thunder. It was the unit strength. It's Slayer and the unit strength buff that really sold its fate because. When you up to 17 at defense six, yeah, yep. that makes that difference. And uh, Bone Giants went from 19 nerve down to 18. And a lot of people might not think that's a – the difference between 18 and 19 nerve is, is huge. And then back then we also could take Rally. So uh, that, you know, dash 20 nerve on 50 mils is what I like yeah, to, to do. Yeah, Bone just to be freaking bricks. Yeah. Uh, I love those. But uh, now Andy nailed it. Like you could cover if you're if worried about just getting shoot off by the elf player. Turn one, turn two of those sideways. Now you're covering two, you know, two hundred millimeters of the board, fifty percent of each unit. You could layer, uh, you could lay, use that as like a layer of cover in the middle of nowhere in case you have no terrain, which is great. The only negative, I think, me and Adam agreed upon. I think you did too, Matt. Is if someone's really confident with their individual play, they can just run up right next to you and neuter you without spending a point. <laughs> I've had a lot more experience playing against behemoths than with them because I just can't make them work with the speed list. They, the speed, it, the only thing that makes it not work is the speed six. It's it's just too tight to yeah. uh, try and drop things to get them in. And so I've had to play against them a lot with a lot of EOD mirror matchups because they are in every EOD list I've seen. Uh, since this last clash and 
yeah, the biggest weakness, the way you beat these things is you jam something in front of it that it doesn't want to fight, like something that Slayer doesn't work against, and then you jam something else next to it, and it is not going anywhere. Yeah, just hold, and just hold it in place. Yeah, two mummy troops will take care of it the whole game. <laughs> Throw some mummies in front of it. It'll be there forever. Yep. I've uh, actually did that against Tristan. He Tristan runs two of these, and my mummy troops, you just gang, gang up on it pretty bad. I've been an adamant. Like, I, I see the behemoth as a good piece. It can definitely fit in armies. It, it's good all around. Uh, but I... If I see it against me on the table, I'm going to abuse the living hell out of that and make the the person that took it wish they didn't. Uh, I think the other monster choices are just better because they are on square bases. And when we're playing a uh, shambling, surging army, you want the square base over the chariot base for those types of units all day long. There's so many times where I just make a behemoth run forward and there's several things in its flank that it just can't turn around to see. It's just, uh, it can be crippling, um, and it doesn't have the speed, doesn't have enough speed to be able to get in the right positions to avoid the your opponent from taking advantage of that. It's a base. great brick that doesn't die. That's what it's good for. And, and it will grind out things, which is the whole style of EOD in the first place. It'll grind out things that come to fight it. So, but it's not a monster that I see a lot of surge play with, unless it's protecting backfield stuff. And even then, the speed is definitely a detriment, only being speed six. Because I think in EOD, we want our monsters to be killing stuff. We have plenty of other options to go chaff stuff up, hit it in the front, sit it down. Uh, We don't need a monster to be doing that. Uh, I think our monsters want to be the tool that dismantles yeah. an army versus the tool that sits in front of it and takes it's, it. It's how, how do your monsters synergize with the rest of your list? That's And that one, you're right. It gets locked up too easy. Um, it does have some of it, but they have, to, they have to work in a vacuum, if it will. Um, and if you go against somebody who's really crafty, like Adam himself, like, I feel bad for the ones who run in it because I'm going to just throw even a gargoyle in its flank. Now you can't turn. I can just keep shadowing you and you'll never get away from it. Or just even a little character like a crusher on a mount could give you a hard time. Yeah, perfect example of how to. Just I it. think uh, the next one's all you. Oh yeah! All right, brothers. Now it's time to truly rejoice. This is the sermon we all came for, uh, brother Dustin. Hear us preach. All right, this is the uh, my boner boys. That's what I used to call them. I used to run three of bone giants back in the day. You already heard me. Uh, my woes and cries of how they used to be good. And then the, the arms race, they got left in the dust. Well, no longer are bone giants in the shadow of their former glory. Uh, our bone giants now are Titans. That means they're going up to unit strength too, which God, God bless more unit strength. We always use that. Their attacks now go to D six plus eight, keeping in line with other giants. The nerves, a whop, the nerve is a whopping dash 19 back to a rightful place of a true anvil. The points go up to a 230 with the other giants, and it's height 6, which is perfect to hide behind, so no one can hex your casters. And then your crushing goes to 4, which means you're wounding everything on 2s now. And you have the option to have Rampage D6 or Slayer D6, depending which flavor you want, and the giant club or the cleaver. 
the changes, the surge never got fixed the way it used to be back when I, when we first got into EOD, but it still doesn't matter. You're still speed seven. You're still, uh, you're still going to out speed most things that aren't alpha strike yet. You're still a dash 19 at defense five with life leech one shambling and strider and brutal means you're going to be able to fight in terrain, fight in the sun. The only enemy you don't want to see is ensnare and you have the soul snare for that. Um, uh, and even then, you're still a square base. How easy is it, as my fellow brothers here in Dust could agree, it's uh, how easy is it to flank with a, a square base? Amen. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, and now, now we have a steady anti armor. No longer do we have to worry about, uh, oh no, hey, we have Slayer. We have Slayer to go with our rampage if you want to use that chariot formation. Now you can do Slayer and Rampage. You have a tool for everything. Uh, you can mix match them. You have bodyguards for Shobik if you want, um, even though he really doesn't need any. Uh, you could sc- Now you could actually screen your Bone Dragons. You could screen your Monolith. You could screen your Casters. Um, this is just a good overall screen, if you will. That's a lot of beef to get through, especially with our ways of heal, uh, drain life, iron resolve, fly fleet. Uh, I think you're going to see a lot of play with these guys. And the modeling choices. Well, don't get me started on how many different cool undead models there are, like giant Tomb King, giant Empire. Like, think of a giant Pharaoh. That look cool as can be. I love this guy too, Dustin. The change has been long coming. And um, at first when I saw it, I was, you know, I, I didn't really care for it because I was like, man, he's going to a Titan base, got to remodel, rebase everything. But you look at what he gets and it's like, Yes, this is what I want. It's worth it, 100%. And I, uh, just this year, was playing uh, Kingdoms of Men with two regular giants, just, you know, vanilla Slayer giants. And those guys, I I just, I loved them in the list. It was the reason why I played the army. Uh, Just had a ton of fun with them. And I'm thinking back to all those games, and now I'm thinking, if that giant had shambling and I could surge it, uh, man, that's what this is. I, I'm just you're just gonna make some people cry. They're not gonna be able to guard all the flanks. This bone giant's going to wreck something uh, because everybody knows a giant in the front will it'll survive long enough to eventually win that combat. But a giant in the flank uh, that that could be a one. The one change for the record is is mostly just to to bring bone giants up to par with all the other giants. Um, they were kind of the odd man out. Um, they were the only giant that wasn't a Titan. They were the only giant that didn't have the Slayer slash uh, Rampage optional take. Their nerve was lower because they weren't a Titan. Their attacks were lower because they weren't a Titan. I think a lot of the reason that they had been held back initially was for that small 50 millimeter square base to play really heavily into the old way that Surge worked, especially before the Surge nerf. But after the Surge nerf, that advantage kind of dwindled. And now I think bring them up to par. I don't necessarily think you're going to get as many Surge shenanigans, um, having played with 75mm Shobek for a long time, but it doesn't matter because his value as a unit has just actually... He's he's good again. He's at least playable. Like, even if you never get a Surge flank, it's just a giant, tanky, grindy, fearless giant that 
has Crush 4 and will have Slayer and or Rampage. And as Adam just said, Giants and other lists are good, right? <laughs> like their speed set, they're really fast. They can get places. Like um, even if you never surge it, it just presents a flank threat of 14 inches to anything that wants to come close to you. And it's much better because it has surge and shambling, um, which is why it's a tiny bit more expensive than the other Giants. But it's the first time since second edition that I've considered starting putting them back in my list again. And they have the speed, unlike the, the behemoth to actually keep up with the faster style of list. I guess Andy doesn't like our giants that much. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. What's a bone giant? I, was gonna say, I think you're, I, I guess it's right. He's going to find one of us three. <laughs> <on the laughs> <same table. laughs> I'm going to model my bone giants with beards now. <laughs> I came in at a weird time for EOD. The Bone Giants weren't very good at all, so I haven't actually looked at this unit a whole lot. Yeah, how long you been playing again, Andy? I started in the last week of March of this year. Oh yeah, you're kind of like my rookie uh, Tristan. Y'all started at the exact same time. So that's good. Well, yeah, w- welcome to the Brotherhood, man. You picked <laughs> the right one to start with. Uh, Tristan had a, a falter on his lesser armies before uh, he uh, embraced the church. But he started getting positive. He started getting positive results once he w- went to the, uh, the the Empire of Dustin right there, and the Struggle Shack. He had to learn. You just didn't uh, teach him in the uh, ways of the mirror match uh, very effectively. <laughs> oh no! I watched I watched y'all's video, and I I I think I called him like ten times before I finished the video. Just uh, yeah, I felt like. Yeah, he did a lot of push-ups because of you. So I was, I was like, I was like, I what the heck? And hey, he did. He had the Stephen syndrome. That's what I call it. You lose it, like you'll do really good, then all of a sudden you'll get in your own head and just do things that make no sense. Yeah, do dumb things and lose a game because of them. Usually, that's what happens when people lose a game. Is it's one mistake is all it takes in this game. Adam, so. tell us tell us about the one of the first staples of this list you mean the only living legend that uh should be in every army the monolith uh yes the monolith uh is getting a buff a well-deserved buff shall we say it needed it it's getting unit strength too like every other titan in the game so the monolith uh is kind of unique where it's speed five it has no melee or range value in fact it has no attack value uh, it is also defense 5, dash 17, 120 points. So what does the monolith actually do? Uh, it does everything you want in EOD. It inspires, and it has Surge 8. Uh, but not only does it have Surge 8, it breaks every rule in the game for casting. You can't be disordered. You have 24-inch range. You don't even need line of sight. So the monolith is just a beast. And I've said it many times, and I will continue to say it, if you're limited to one living legend in EOD, which we have many excellent choices and one really bad one, you would take the monolith every time. Who doesn't play with the monolith? Is anybody doing push-ups today, Dustin? No, I can tell you this. Am I the, did you ever, did y'all play back when it was, uh, remember the old shrine rules? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The second, second edition? Uh, That's when I... First started testing EOD. Yeah, I, I had it. I had it as well, and like I used to just do it for my super grind, so all my giants would dance around it. <laughs> but uh, 
Yeah, dude, it's been a staple since second, and it just got better. Like, uh, you're right. It's it's also it's a piece of chaff. If something gets in, if you need to block something, it's a dash seventeen at defense five. Like, I don't know how many times I just said, okay, I'll, I'll go sit in front of you. So, like, some unit that can't deal, and I just keep withdrawing in a wood, so it's always hindered. And I'm like, okay, I can block you for several, like a rabble horde. or I blocked rabble hordes from getting across the board for invade before with it, these guys. And I was like, okay, now I'm just going to flank you and just start chewing through them. Yeah, I'm actually going to, instead of trying to praise it and say things of, like, man, it's so good for all XYZ reasons, because I, I often see people who don't play EOD, and they're like, I absolutely freaking despise this thing and want it deleted from the game and gone. One, compared to all the other totem-esque units or aura buffers or things like that, it has no offensive output whatsoever. It is, by definition, a support piece. It is probably one of, if not the best support piece in the game, especially in the army it is located in. But it is a support piece. It doesn't actually do any offense or output on that side unless you get a good surge, which you still need some other unit to actually do the work. If you want to counter it, hardest counter is hex. You just hex the hex the dang thing. It's like, cool, you cast a surge, and now you're like that defense five and dash seventeen is gonna look a lot easier to pop next turn. It's gonna be hard to hex now under behind three bone giants. <laughs> definitely you can put some stuff in front of it to help, but uh, God bless <laughs> Hex is a good counter to it, and then just making sure you don't leave stuff open for search. You got to play around search. That's just something you got to do with EOD in general. It, it is still a dash seventeen defense five height six wall that uh, I don't know about you guys, but I I run it straight at my opponent. Every once in a while, uh, it depends if I need to bury it or not. It depends on my opponent. Sometimes, if my opponent can't deal with defense five, then yeah, I can see it. It's also a good loot caddy because you know it's a decent loot caddy. Um, it's good for now that it's Unitrank two. Oh, man, Dominate just got better. Like uh, it just got better overall. Just that Unitrank two is phenomenal for it. Set on objectives uh, and still contribute to the game. Hide behind a forest. Hide behind a building. Work as chaff with a counterpunch unit. It's it, all of those above. If every other unit in the game hadn't gotten unit strength two, I would have been worried. But but only because every other Titan got unit strength two. As a guy who runs lots of Titans, I I, I like that. So uh, I was try- I was going to go with no monsters this year, and I, I see that I'm like, well, looks like the Lord Himself wants me to keep running monsters. So yeah, Dustin, no monsters, only Titans. <laughs> okay, okay, I agree. I can agree with that one. I've done it in the past, but a lot of people don't remember back then. So I was like, well, maybe I need to just remind them I could run no monsters. But then uh, they do this. Run it back. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh, I'll just keep. I'll, I'll stay on the course. So uh, I, I usually run my monolith as a second line just because I only take two sources of surge and the monolith is one of them. Uh, I know some uh, dust players taking many more than that. Um, and I would absolutely run it on the front line if I had another caster that I could rely on. But I try to, uh, I try to be pretty lean on the caster side, knowing that the monolith is always available anywhere in my battle yeah, line. So. Pappy didn't have Surge as a super situational optional thing to throw out, then the monolith would be my only source of Surge in the list. Monolith and Sepik, but in the past, I've gone from 
weapon you could do weaponized surge lists if you wanted to but even then the monolith is still on the list like that's the thing with the monolith is a, it's a staple it's like a good old american staple right there and one thing i forgot to mention is the monolith it does have some restrictions and some anti synergy with the army where it has to be the first thing in the shooting phase so you can't get some uh, nice combos of things off. Like uh, one of the best things is like enslaved guardian archers. They can't shoot and then get surged by the monolith. Uh, the monolith has to go first before them. So like I said, the, you know, the monolith does have some restrictions in there. And, you know, Matt mentioned there's some people that hate on the monolith that are playing against it. You know, making sure your opponent is playing within those rules, I think, will make it a lot more manageable because there's a lot of sneaky shenanigans EOD can do between surging and also doing other shooting in the shooting phase. If I was not going to run it, it would be in the gunline list. That's for sure, because that's probably the the weakest archetype to run it in. Um, Still, it'd be really hard to make me not run it in that, but at probably be the only type that i'd consider not running it yeah it's such a yeah. bargain for what it does and even in the gun line if you do the venus flytrap style gun line where oh you made it to my yeah. gun line here's some flanks you know it can it's still have use uh, yeah and it still inspires so you don't have to be locked in so yeah i think we're all yeah all on board the monolith train <laughs> And before the Revenant Kings got a uh, surge option, it used to be also the cheapest source of surge in the army, which, you know, was also just like, oh, scoring, surging, and inspiring. Check all the boxes. Okay. No, don't mind if I do. I, uh, yeah, I always looked at it as in, wow, it's so cheap for what I could do. And other people, like, I know some people still do the army standard bearer with the tome, but I'm like, for fractional cost more, I could score and hold a token. And uh, it's not that big of a deal just to have that. Uh, but having that 24, uh, I mean, that 360 surge ability, especially with the next unit that we're talking about, that those two are match made in heaven. Go for it. I guess I'll start with, oh, okay, the artists formerly known as Bone Dragons. Uh, they're undead worms. Okay. They're the original flying shambling unit. None of this blasphemy about greater air elementals on this podca- uh, podcast. Speed 10, melee 4, defense 4. It's unit strength 1, now 2 though, because it's a titan. God bless. 10 attacks, dash 18, and that's 180 points. Thank God that greater air elementals went down in cost, so I get these for under 200 points. Crushing 3, fly, life leech 1, nimble, and shambling. So, Previously, they had a lower nerf, and they had nine attacks. I bought 27 dice back then just because every game I got a rear, a rear surge with these guys. And I have, I always make it a point to get a rear with the Every game, I think I get a, a They work great as counter flyers. You can run them in a team. Or they could do zone controls. Or they could just be counter uh, anvil because your whole army is nothing but anvil. It's a phenomenal unit. We used to call it boner time if it got surged into you because the prison yard rules with that bone dragon. I uh, I could say I've took two my first GT that was against Rob over here. I still have the scars. (laughs) I think I played Adam. I was running one. Yeah, it was the bone giants that did me in. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I was hiding from your uh, elves at that point with my bone dragon. <laughs> I knew they would get shot off. But uh, I don't know if Matt, me and Matt ever had an EOD. I've experiment. definitely felt it. 
Bone Dragon's my favorite. I don't know. Have y'all any of y'all run the Bone Dragon a lot or no? Oh yeah, I've been running it all this year. Uh, a single one of them. A single one's more than enough, though, isn't it? Yeah, it it offers a good amount of uh, threat and potential. The the biggest thing, I mean, I was running a uh, Bone Giant uh, before that, and with them just kind of going down in power, Undead Worms got cheaper at that point. I was like, yeah, I'm going to try them out. Also, I have a really obnoxious model that never actually sees the table. It's only ever a base out on the table. <laughs> so uh, it, it's a huge-ass worm swirling around a pyramid, and I've called it Lord Overcompensating because clearly I am. I never really get rears with the, the undead worm. I'm almost always aiming for flanks. Oh, but even then, think about it. Like your opponents, even at a turn a high level, like for us on here, we all like GTs. You could your opponents will mill. I've had so many opponents time out when they see my bone dragon. They just eat their clock up because they're so scared of it. And but they know a flank's going to happen no matter what. So some reserve themselves to just try not to get flanked too my bad. My biggest stick with them is is it's not that. I have anything against the bone dragon. It's that the bone dragon sits there and then greater elementals existed. And I'm just like the holy crap people who are just like, but greater airs are so you know perfectly fine. And then you look at the undead worm and I'm like, this thing is nuts. This, this thing is already really good, right? Like it's, it's the thing where it's like, I personally don't take it. But that doesn't mean it's not good. Like, Dustin obviously is doing great with it. Adam is obviously doing great with one of them. It's a good unit for 180 points on a Titan base without Pathfinder and on a 75 millimeter. And hits on fours. And right, threes. exactly. And I'm like, and then the, the greater air exists. And I'm like, all of those things, but better. Like, what the heck? Now that the airs only have eight attacks... Versus our undead worms ten attacks. What, what are we thinking about that comparison now? Are are we still not on the same battlefield? The US two helps too. Yeah, unit strength two is huge. I, I like the CS three, especially with these uh all these impalers all coming up. All these pretty impalers posted online. They're gonna be looking good underneath my bone dragons. I mean, it uh, wasn't gonna feet. matter. You're gonna flake them anyway. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I know they're gonna be juicy. That's true. Yeah, yeah, you're wasting a crush there, <laughs> Dustin. Uh, that should be like double crush. That should be dev- that should be like brutal at that point. <laughs> yeah, it helps if you got weakness though. So there you go. Extra crushing over top gives you vicious. That should be a new rule, I'm, Matt. Put I'm, it in. I'm good for it. Yeah, I've only played against this thing one time, and it it uh, sucked to play against. When we played Andy, it was just sitting on a hill playing Overwatch. I was just like, cool. Whenever you get out of line, Andy, here's what's coming. He didn't move it for three turns, and he didn't have to. It was a discipline unit. I I, I love a good discipline unit. Disgusting threat generator. Yep. <laughs> well, let's keep this train rolling. We'll get into the war engines. Uh, we'll talk about the Empire of Dust, Balefire, Catapult. Nothing's changed about this. It's a war engine uh, that does hit on fives. It's got two attacks. It's dash 11. And 95 points. I mean, that's nice. Uh, a war engine that's fearless is always a bonus. Right? Uh, and it's got shambling, which I don't know why you would surge. I guess you could surge it. Could you surge? Question. Could you surge it over an obstacle? War engine can't normally move over an obstacle, but could you surge it over an obstacle? No, because when you surge, it counts as movement. And if you connect, it counts as a charge. So uh, a war machine cannot yep. uh, treat obstacles as impassable terrain. 
when you surge into impassable terrain, you just stop. So it's got a 40-inch range. It's blast, D3 plus one. It ignores obscured Adam's favorite rule. It's indirect, which means you can't shoot things closer than 12 inches. It's got piercing two and reload. And it's got the rule unholy flames. Whenever the unit rolls the damage with the spell for attack, it can reroll D3 of the dice that failed to damage. Uh, and then there's an option there. But let's be honest. No one is taking this in the Empire of Dust with list. With the shattering, um, it does actually see some play. Um, it's not as common in the U.S. I'll say that. Is that with, so what he's talking about is that there's an upgrade with the Skinner of Jars gaining shattering with Balefire attacks for 10 points. So now it pushes it to 105 points. Uh, you've got two attacks hitting on fives, ignoring Obscured with Blast D3 plus one at 48-inch range and shattering. So, yeah, okay, maybe. But it's one of those ones where you got to take three of them, right? Because they're so inconsistent. Yes. You you do see batteries, um, especially in Australia right now, is where I think um, I see a lot of them being used. Um, there's also a decent chunk in the British scene, um, usually in either pairs or triplets. Um, you, I don't think I've ever seen one taken as a solo Balefire catapult. It's always in twos or threes, which is pretty consistent with most artillery. But it is a really good artillery piece as far as artillery goes. And Sad Panda, it, it does not get the new secured position special. It was rules. considered, but we were slow rolling that one because we want to basically see if it works <laughs> so, before we, we worry about other units. I've seen it more in Undead, but I got to admit, like even though I've seen it Undead in EOD, I've run two in Undead gunline based lists, and uh, two was fine. Just because it's four shots, but uh, I will say the existence of this catapult irks me. No, as a former Abyssal Dwarf player, whenever they nerfed my big mortar, they said, you know, it's because they got rid of Pierce three because Pierce three vicious. Like this thing gets a flat reroll of D three, which is way better than vicious. So uh, that its its existence has always irked me, and I fought against it a lot uh, at older masters back when you saw more catapults and shooting. I've, I always thought they were neat. Uh, I've kind of gotten out of War Machine favor since more unit strength has come uh, into play. Uh, since the game evolved to unit strength based play, but I could see the use of two of them even to threaten people to come forward and like zone control. That threat element of forty eight inches allows and plus to surge. That, that you could really pour uh, pull some of those elite armies towards you because some lucky shots are lucky shots. Yeah, I used to run one or two in one of my earlier versions of Empire Dust that was focused more around the shooting with the Guardian Archers. I think it was running one Horde Archers, uh, Guardian Archers, and then two of the Catapults at that point. And they worked well. I just slowly realized that two Balefire Catapults was slightly cheaper than just a second Horde of Guardian Archers that scored and you know, projected a melee threat as well when people got closer. So I, I eventually evolved into a horde of guardians uh, was just going to be a better option for that style of play. But, you know, like any other war machine, they can put out hurt if they hit, um, you know, they were also better when ignore cover was just a rule. So, yeah, the, I was running three of these in my very, well, not my very first, my second list ever with EOD quickly moved to the archers and then did the crossbows just for the zone control. But 
it is fun shooting <laughs> shooting them because everyone's like, "All right, is it gonna pop off this turn?" That's the beauty of War Machines, right there. <laughs> <laughs> is this the turn my stuff does? Uh, I, I do miss that the whole gamble aspect of it. It's but it, it, but I'll tell you this: when you have a uh, War Machine based army, I think uh, Adam could vouch for this one. You're planning for it to go average. If it goes average, you're still happy. If it goes really bad, you're very un- like. If it doesn't hit at all, you're kind of unhappy, even though you could be having a good game. But the worst one is when it rolls hot. Because unless you're playing someone you personally don't like, it's not a good game for them. If you hit every round, which has happened before, I'm like, I played one of the nicest human beings ever at the Shiloh with the Bissell Dwarves. Uh, he's one of our Arkansas players. And every round hit against his ogres. And I, with my heavy mortars, uh, for four turns. And I felt so bad. Uh, I didn't feel bad enough to give him the win, but uh, I, but I will say it felt it did feel good because it felt like I just played autoplay because I just rolled five ups constantly throughout the game, and that's the one negative. And I would even argue that with uh, these types of war machines, is you can roll average over the course of the game, but if you roll extremely well early in the game, it has a huge impact. Like if I if I could, I would take a hundred percent hits for the first turn and then never have it hit for the rest of the game. That would be enough impact, in my opinion. But it, it's it's tough when you don't get the impact early on in the first couple of turns. War machines that are definitely not war machines. Uh, effectively, uh, we've got the soul snare here, uh, one of the other staples of EOD. I feel uh, it is technically a war engine. Uh, it. Is 150 points on the dot. It's height 2, speed 5, defense 4. It is dash 15. It is stealthy for some reason. Uh, it is drain life 9. Uh, and it has the unique function of its drain life has a range of 18 inches for its shooting mechanic and can heal things within 12 inches instead of 6 for the damage removal mechanic. Big reason that that makes it dumb is that it suffers zero penalties except for Spell Ward, which is not super prevalent in the game, certainly without the uh, banner of Abbotshire anymore. And it's just incredibly consistent damage output uh, because Drain Life is piercing, Drain Life doesn't take cover penalties because it for every other Drain Life, it doesn't have that range. Uh, you can shoot it into combats, which for EOD is a huge deal if you're not running Enslaved Guardians, because EOD is a, a an army of inches in my mind, where like your damage output on the whole is lower overall. You're looking for grinding things out, and the Soul Snare can just do the just enough to just tip it over the edge to where a combat that you would have had to take two turns with becomes a one-turn combat. Um, and in the meantime, while it's doing all of this great stuff, it's adding a consistent two to three heal to your army within 12 inches of it. Some of its only downsides are if you take the first turn, you don't get to shoot with it the first turn. Uh, and it's really vulnerable to hex, similar to the monolith. Like if you're, if you're facing these things, if EOD does not like hex, if you want to beat EOD, take hex. That item is one of the best magic items and no one takes it. That's not true. I take it in every army. That's not EOD. I think say I see it in most uh, most of my opponents' armies. Uh, Shocking how low it is on the list of magic items. 
Uh, well, and that's including all these uh, these lesser uh, these lesser players, right? These uh, out of country ones. So, yeah, I'm not uh, trying to throw shade <laughs> at other countries. I'm just saying people are sleeping on hex. I've noticed it's re- it's regionally based. I know that our region tends to run it heavy. I know Adams. I think y'all's region runs it pretty heavily, doesn't it? I've been preaching it for a while. Two best items in the game, in my opinion, are both 15 points, and it's J boots, and it's uh, the J boots is correctly toward the top. Those are the two items I see in almost every opponent's army, and uh, rightfully so. I won't take it every once in a while, just but that's more of a being a hipster doofus on that part. Not really I guess. much to say more than that with Soul Snare. Like it's a very very simple unit that has a very simple purpose. I, I guess I can speak a little bit more to its durability that is shockingly tough. The reason that you wouldn't take the 60-point swarm to stick in front of it to make sure it never gets charged is less about worrying about it dying because I have watched characters charge it and not kill it for two turns. I have watched units charge it, and I have forced people to roll out the triple attacks because dash 15 defense 4 is decidedly tougher than it looks, and I am perfectly happy for people to waste shots in it when it's sitting in cover with stealthy and also dash 15 defense 4. Like it is, it is surprisingly hard to kill. I have actually, like everything else in this army, as Dustin said, used it as chaff when needed. I, I used it at Masters against my round one opponent. He's a great guy, Kevin, and I used it as chaff at the uh, to block up a whole side, which set me up with like three yeah. flanks. And he goes, "Holy cow! I didn't think of that." Yeah. I said, "Well, it's there." <laughs> and uh, I got to admit, uh, you're you're you nailed it. Adam nailed it. It's just so if we run an army that's mostly melee four or five, this is the swinging. Fa- this is saying you're not spamming enslaved guardians, right? That four up is so swingy and non reliable. This helps us curve that a little bit. And I found it way more crucial to my list that are more mummy based or more non, you know, sh- uh, enslaved guardians just take X lists. Uh, and I really enjoy it. I think it adds that little cream of the crop, I guess you would say, and the name of Macho Man. Uh, it, it's up there with the Monolith. Um, obviously, Monolith is still king because it's Surge. But uh, I'll put it up there with Shobik any day. Yeah, in my opinion, you start your list building at 1,970 points. <laughs> <laughs> you start with the Soul Snare and the Monolith, and for me, the Desert Swarm Regiment, and then build from there. The fact that you didn't say Shobik offends me. So uh, I think we might have a challenge. Andy. Yeah. I, yeah. Andy, we're, we're going to have us a challenge. Push ups, push ups incoming, <laughs> I, Andy. I will say that the this thing is so essential as just a healing piece and a chaff removal piece. I have run armies where this is my only shooting. Um, and I've run it in speed lists where this is my only shooting. Um, because it's just that essential to. Uh, keeping the list functional, um, which that's kind of the thing. I, I see a lot of people, I'll, I'll take a brief tangent here. I see a lot of people who who look in at EOD as outside perspectives and they're like, man, these are really powerful support pieces because the rest of the army sucks. <laughs> like, except EOD and Slave Guardians, the rest of the army is just hitting you on fours with no terrain mitigation. <laughs> like, I was going to say, we just spent the past, what, hour or two hours talking about how a lot of this stuff's really good chaff. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you're fighting chaff. Like, the whole army is chaff. So, like, yeah, it's it's 
the support pieces are needed to make the army work, which is why, unlike other armies, this is a like Andy just said it. You start your list, you know, with your support pieces first, and you're building around them. Whereas most other armies build the list and then build support pieces around that. Yeah, it's exactly 100% accurate too. <laughs> Which I think is perfectly fine. I think it just makes the list different and fun to build with. So it's about what you take alongside your your key your key support pieces. Well, awesome. Let's take a quick commercial break. On the other side, we'll get into the heroes. We'll be right back. This is Nicholas Lee, the greatest Empire of Dust player in Southeast Asia, and you're listening to Countercharge. Welcome back to Countercharge, and we're into the heroes section. And, you know, we've got to start with this undead army standard bear. Certainly we'll cover them, but Matt, you know, give us a sense of, you know, all of the standard bears in the game have really gotten some cool stuff. If we're talking standard bears in general, the big thing is just that we kind of had two options going into this year. One of them was going to be to just delete all of them, basically. But that was kind of tricky for a couple of reasons. One, Mantic makes models for a number of these standard bears. So that was one thing to consider. So it would have cost Mantic money effectively to have to drop those production lines, just not be able to sell those models anymore, right? And the other option was to try and find a way to make them playable. Um, basically, ever since the inspiring change went through, I want to say it was two, it was Clash 2022. Uh, you had the big inspiring change where things that had conditional inspiring disappeared. And instead, we just got full inspiring. And ever since then, standard bears basically dropped off the face of the planet. Like no one was running them. If they were, it was exceptionally rare because. And almost because it was a points crush, because if you could find 10 points, you could just buy something else that did the exact same thing and also had utility. In EOD, that's very true, too. If you look at the Undead Army Standard Bear compared to a Revenant Champ for 15 points, you get a character that can fight and is super durable and like can take Surge for a little bit more if you really need it. You have a huge utility character for just a tiny bit more points versus this guy who does one thing, which is sit there and inspire. And then if you want to make him do anything useful, you have to spend points on a magic item. And magic items, for those who don't know, are intentionally overpriced. So they are they are unoptimal. You have to pay more points to get something that other things just get for cheap. That was kind of what we were going into when we were looking at re overhauling the army standard bears was to make them playable again. And the way we wanted to do that was to, one, all of them have very inspiring now. So if they're going to be an inspiring stick... They're going to be the inspiring stick. So they all have very inspiring. And then in addition to that, they all have some sort of impact. 90% of them, I want to say, are focused on infantry because that was the other thing we're aware of that is struggling a little bit in the meta right now is just the rank and flank regular dudes on the ground infantry. And we see that here in this Empire of Dust one. The points went up a smidge because of how good this aura is. Potentially, maybe, we'll see. In addition to a slight defense change, that's mostly just to reflect that it's a Revenant holding the standard, not a skeleton. It is 60 points now. It has the Aura Strider Infantry only. Very inspiring. One attack, dash 11. So that that's all the same. Melee 5. Still, still garbage at literally everything else. Um, has Life Leech 1 if you ever hit your melee 5 and wound with no crushing. You can mount it on a horse for 25 points. Makes it 85 points if you want it. Uh, 
Strider in this list gives the infantry some flexibility around terrain, but you're having to take a standard bear to do that. And that's the big thing. You're having to take a non-scoring individual unit who just inspires. And this list is not short on inspiring options. And a lot of other lists have some difficulty with their inspiring. EOD does not. We have a plethora of inspiring units. I think it's going to make it a choice. I think it does make an infantry build viable, but we'll see. And 60 points is not an excessive cost either, you know, in the grand scheme of things. And if you wanted to use them as a caddy or right. a loot. I'd put the jar on there and run a bunch of mummies. That's yeah. what I would do. I, I could also see the, <laughs> um, the what is it called? The Is it the horn that it adds an extra three inches to your aura? The sacred horn. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, sacred horn I could see as being a big pick for a lot of standard bears this year. I can see the uh, the tome of the for a surge on this guy would be good too. Yeah, I'm just give him an extra job. There's some flexible options. I, I love the idea of what y'all got behind with the army standard bearer seeing play. I love the idea of infantry being more prevalent because right now I'm under the assumption that there's three roles for infantry: unlock, block, and shoot. So I like the I that's what that's all I receive with infantry. Other like uh, you only have a handful that see melee. But I have my own solution, but it's radical. But um, and nonetheless, the idea that I might see more infantry on the board, love it. Uh, the fact that this, if this is for, uh, trend continues, I think you'll start seeing. And then pa- as a painter, forget about it. Some of these people are artists with their banners. They freehand, like, it's tr- uh, true beauty. We had a clubmate who did that with his banners. They phenomenal work. So I'm looking forward to seeing all the art that you might see out of these banners. Were you talking about Kelly, Dustin? Or who are you talking about? Yeah, I was talking about Kelly. If you remember his freehand he did on that ogre banner, was amazing, amazing painter. He's sorely missed. So the Ammonite Army Standard Bear is speed five, Malay five plus. He's now defense five. He's got one attack. He's dash eleven, and he's now sixty points rather than fifty. In addition, he has individual. He now has very inspiring instead of just regular inspiring, and he has life leech one, and he has an aura strider infantry only, which is a big deal. Before we get into some more characters, I, it's probably important to bring up a couple changes to some core rules mechanics that are going to affect some of the things, some of the choices down the road. The first is uh, with the boots of levitation, add the infantry or heavy infantry only condition. AKA can't have it on a mounted character anymore. And then the second one is Alchemist Curse increases by 10 points at each level. Andy's a big fan of this, and I'm glad it's uh, increased in points. <laughs> I will say so that the caveat here, and this is the missing piece of information that's not listed in the general changes because it's not something that can just be spelled out as a blanket statement as easily as stuff like t- All Titans are Unstring 2, for example. Um, and that's that casters don't have a default spell anymore. The trick here is that uh, Alchemist Curse did go up in points, but a lot of wizards just went down in points. Because you're not paying for the fireball or the lightning bolt that you may not want. Right. So so some wizards actually are going to get it cheaper, um, which might be a little chaotic for, for the first bit of time. Just know that we're we're aware... <laughs> And the uh, the good old Boots of yeah. Levitation Alchemist Curse Mage uh, was going to be in every army uh, because yeah. it, I mean, people were already mentioning that with the Twilight King getting released uh, a little bit ahead of the Clash of Kings book. It's like, 
you know, look at this, it inspires and it does it better than the elf one even does. You know, it's like, just wait, guys. Yeah. It's fixed. I promise. It's it's it'll be fine. I promise. Yeah. It's fine. Not being able to put it on a mono character really does it's really the fix. The points, whatever. But the fact that you can't move sixteen yeah. and then blast is uh still it's a great spell. It'll be missed in the elf army. Still works. And it's probably just pointed correctly now. Saying, I think it's 20 points cheaper now. See it on like a goblin caster, like still rocking Alchemist Curse. But uh, like I said, I don't think Twilight Kings are going to need any help. I don't think you know, elves need any help. But then again, I'm just a grumpy old man when it comes to pony years. But <laughs> Elves definitely need some help with the, uh, the higher defense stuff. Uh, as far as if you want to actually do damage and shooting. I thought so. that's what Drake guns were for, though. Dracons can only kill so many things. <laughs> hey, we've got my, my least favorite unit in this list. The Cursed High Priest. Million spell options on this one, but uh, we'll get there. Spellcaster 3, Speed 5, on foot. Melee 5, Defense 4, Dash 13, so it is a Fearless Caster at 70 points. It is Inspiring as well, and it has Reanimator. So for every other Friendly core skeleton unit within six inches. Uh, you can re-roll one die that failed to hit with Drain Life, Fireball, Heal, Hex, Surge, Weakness, and Wind Blast up to a maximum of two re-rolls. It does not come with a default spell anymore. So it's either it's Drain Life 6 for thir- plus 30, Fireball 12 for 35, Heal 5 for 35, Hex 3 for 15, Surge 8 for 30, Weakness 3 for 20, Wind Blast 6 for 25, and you can get a mount for it to go up to speed 8 and height 3 for 25 points. Go for it. I, I was taking this, uh, as Rob pointed out, with the mount and Boots of Levitation and Alchemist Curse and Surge, and uh, I, I thought she did pretty well for me, normally, uh, against most things. Not doing that anymore. I used to run one back in the second edition a lot, uh, just with Surgeon Heal. And uh, that's prior to us. So before you had Sepik, you had a guy named Mortibus. So I used to run Mortibus. He had a stealthy bubble. And uh, so I always ran one to two-ish. They all got replaced with Sepik, of course, when Sepik was allowed. But um, I see his value... You could try to build them around offensively. I think we've all seen those, the Drain Life builds, Drain Life-esque weakness. I tried one with two weakness casters and a bunch of slave guardians and two reanimated. That was real fun. Running a bunch of weakness casters with EOD really works well. To, to add a pharaoh and they're not getting through you. But it is expensive. Very, very expensive. But you could try that running them with spear, uh, skeleton spears, and you're going to watch people bounce off skeleton spears because now they're essentially defense five if you t- hit your targets right. I think that would work even better now with defense five revenants. Yeah, that would be phenomenal. Hit hit the right target at the right time, and they can't do anything about it. This was actually one of the two template casters um, that the idea for I would say the idea for, but certainly the the proof that the idea could work to have casters that didn't have default spells um, because both the cursed high priest and the elf mage don't come with defaults and they had existed that way for a long time. And so it was just a matter of making that every caster. I I think that was a good choice. 
I definitely like this guy a lot. I, I feel like the Curse High Priest is underplayed just because uh, Sebek Ray is in the list, but he is and has been in many of my lists where I'll take him with Heal 5 and Surge, uh, and I usually like to run like a Fireheart Amulet on that type of a caster for getting both of them off in a single turn. So I do think the Curse High Priest sees play now that it's been changed from the extraordinary amount of points it used to cost. I, I should clarify when I said he was my least favorite unit. That is entirely a bias thing. I am not a fan of casters on foot that don't score. Well, maybe we should use as a caveat to tell us what you do like uh, this Curse High Priest on, Mr. Matthew. I still don't know that I'd run this one, but, but it... At least is definitely one I would start considering for all those things I just said, uh, which is take the exact same unit and spend 30 points to make it scoring and put it on a chariot and get Thunder as one for his one attack. Woo. Realistically, and even five, there is that. Um, but the big thing is is making him a scoring piece. So you're spending 30 points to get unit strength one and effectively be mounted so you were buying a horse already, potentially. So you've got to weigh the the ups and downs of that. You know, you're a bigger base, like so you're harder to hide, a little bit harder to maneuver because it's a chariot base rather than a mount, which can just freestyle. But you score. Uh, it one of the hardest things I've learned so far on the RC has been pinpointing exactly how much people value one unit strength. Um, like what is the actual points value of one unit strength to people? And I think this is correct. So, but if we got it wrong, we can always adjust. I would pay more. <laughs> As me personally, I would I would potentially do more, but I I think I think it's a good sweet spot. Certainly it's another reason to buy those beautiful chariot models for Mantic and just stick a stick a character in the back of one. It's an easy conversion. Mostly just another fun option for a character. Yeah, I, I do like the uh, chariot option uh, quite a bit. It's such a just a simple addition, but it's it's really valuable. I think in the army overall. All right, uh, moving on a little bit. Ammonite Pharaoh on foot, speed five, melee three plus, defense six, five attacks at dash sixteen, hundred and sixty points. This guy did not see any changes from Clash of Kings, so still crush two, individual, inspiring. Life Leech 1, Mighty, Regen 5+. plus. Uh, still comes with Surge 8. You can still give him the Eternal Guard upgrade. Uh, one, one per list. Of Aura Elite for Melee for Mummies only. For 20 points. This guy's... I know he's still going to be a staple on my list. Still Wings of the Honey Maze, Ho Shadow Beast. You lost me at Wings of the Honey Maze. I, I can see one, but uh, I'm going to have my footboy being a dash 16 at 160 with defense 6. Boy, he's hella thick. That's what the young kids call it now. That's like three C's of chaff. Right That's there. like Dustin Chaff. Yeah. He, so this this guy, right, like with host, he's the quintessential host. You either run him with Host of the Shadow Beast with Fly. That's a good combo. Or you run with this one, you can give them the item that gives you, I forgot the name of it, the Wingbane Cloak. Uh, in Sarah versus Fly, if you want to be cheap, uh, you don't need anything, even. You blade is slashing. Like, if you don't want to, if you want to go naked, go naked. But there is one upgrade Andy forgot. Uh, yeah, he did see an upgrade. The fact that his homie gives him Strider for melee now. <laughs> the army's dinner bearer. 
he, he's like, hey, I, I, to me, that's a, that's a, that's a. Oh yeah, he does. Uh, he he could fight now because there's a there was a guy running the one, and I've only done it locally, and I've really I was going to take it to Alamo, which uh, I I rolled a dice and I let DoD decide the final list and I rolled dice. One of the lists was three foot pharaoh, well, one flying and two foot pharaohs, and um for our local twenty five hundred tournament, but uh it didn't make the cut. Uh, this guy's phenomenal. Uh, look at his nerve for what he is. Yes, he doesn't score, but scoring is not the most important thing. All, uh, all well, it is nowadays, but scoring you can still win with low unit strength. I like the foot one quite a bit, especially with mummy synergy. It's a pretty easy addition to make your mummies even more consistent than they already were. Uh, and as as Dustin said, Host Shadow Beast, like, if there was ever a character to throw Host Shadow Beast on, it's this one. Because, like, it's the one that's least likely to not be able to cast Host Shadow Beast every turn. Uh, and that's assuming people want to throw things into a guy who's almost certainly not going to die when he's on foot. And at that point, he's putting out, what, nine attacks total? Five of them with Crushing 2 and the other four with Crushing 3? That's if you don't give him the knowledgeable upgrade. Right, exactly. Like, And don't yeah, get me wrong, yeah. Like, I still think that's expensive for a thing that doesn't score, but out of all the non-scoring characters, he's probably the best one in the game right now. And he has Surge built in, so like on top of all this, he has some flexibility with what he can do. The Flying Variant, uh, Dustin talked me out of the Flying Pharaoh a long time ago, and... I don't take him anymore because I take the next guy on the list. Yeah, the next guy fits. Why not both? That's what I say. Well, sometimes you're hurting for some. You need some. The list scoring. gets points heavy when you get to characters. That's you, your your points dry up fast. That's why you just take more infantry. Be be like yeah, me. That is the <laughs> potential solution there. Uh, so the Ammonite Pharaoh on Royal Chariot, one of the longer names in the game, is. Speed 8, melee 3, defense 5, unit strength 1, 7 attacks, dash 16, 205 points, crush 2, inspiring, life leech, nimble, regen, 5 plus, thunder 1. He can buy surge 8 for 15 points, and he can upgrade to Roz the Undying, uh, who has gotten a pretty substantial overhaul to his mechanic. So he used to basically be a combo charge thing. Issues with the previous mechanic were that... It worked, like you could get it to work, but the long chariot base, multi-charging things in the front, which is usually how that had to happen, basically meant that he then got stuck, and then, yeah, you got it off the one time, but for how expensive it was, you were basically buying a dragon, and then it was a stuck dragon, with all the downsides of being a dragon, um, and not even the output of a dragon, so you're only really getting the value to a different unit. It was problematic, and especially for how it was all the problems of the dragon, but less nerf, less speed, less, like, it just was not great. Um, it was playable, but it was it was definitely, like, not good. It was kind of a gimmick. And and I, I'll, I'll say this because there's always going to be someone out there who's like, well, I made it, ran it and I made it work. And it's like, yes, people can make things work. That doesn't mean they're good. <laughs> like... So, because I'm sure Adam will say that about the last thing on this list when we get there. <laughs> with with Roz now, his new mechanic is uh, he still increases route value by one, making him dash 17, which helps him a little bit 
uh, when he's having to swirl around and play antithetical to how ferro chariots want to play. Now he just picks a unit within six inches and they replace the, their melee value with his. It does have to be a skeleton unit, so but there's a lot of skeletons in this list. The six inches does mean you have to still be pretty close, but it doesn't necessarily mean you have to be literally in the same combat. The really nice thing is because of the wording, it's yeah. after right. completing its moves. So after Raz moves, he gives the melee value. So Raz can move, say you got a bone dragon, give the bone dragon his melee value, and then the bone dragon can go fly off into something and hit on threes for the rest of the turn. So it's actually quite a big buff and a lot lot more range than what it even had potential for previously. At the cost of not being able to get multiple units in the same thing, because uh, before you effectively had Roz usually pairing up with two or more monsters to try and multi-charge something to get multiple three-plus bone giants. Yeah, which was a lot, most of the time it was overkill anyways. Right, and that was my argument. It's like, you know, some of the best units to do it with, or most value, is like those shooting units, like the hordes of uh, archers that we talked about. Yep. You know, going from hitting on sixes to hitting on threes, that's pretty big value. But yeah, the trying to get bone giants and uh, bone dragons to melee three instead of four with multi-charges, it's like, is it really worth it when you just have a big beady, uh, you know, mini dragon in Roz himself? Yeah. And then the monster also, a lot of times you were just killing stuff. And you were killing it before it even swung anyways. He is, he is expensive enough that you definitely have to make a choice to take him and definitely want to build into a list running him, I think. And because it's only one unit, uh, picking which unit, there's a lot of different values you can get out of that. Like when you actually do the math on making a bone dragon or a bone giant hit on plus one to hit, it's basically the same. The bone giant cheats because it's already crushed four. But it's, it's the same as Bane Chanting in most cases. But because those things already are as high as they can get, that's the closest thing EOD has to being able to Bane Chant something. So, but the other units where it would actually have impact generally don't have any crushing. So they're not going to see nearly as much of an impact from his uh, choosing to make them hit on threes. So like, yeah, you can make that Skeleton Archer hit on threes, but they still don't have any crushing. And the, the, but that's the whole thing is the possibilities now are oh, way yeah. more flexible. You're not like tied into giving it the same unit for that combo charge, which we've all seen that happen time and time again. So I agree though, it's 100% just better as a whole. I love the new change to him. That was actually one of the things that excites me the most. Yeah, I might, I might not be the only one playing him now. <laughs> that's, that's true. I will say not to detract too much from Roz, because while that is the change that happened to the unit, Pharaoh Chariots are also hands down one of the best units EOD has available, in my opinion. Yeah, it, well, yeah it's, it's Dash solid. 16 nerve on a Chariot character. That's where that Chariot base does come into play, because it's nimble. So you can cut corners super efficiently. Defense five, you're a mummy slightly in between a troop and regiment that's speed eight and nimble and has thunder one on top of all that. You can just run them up flanks. You can bait dragons into charging them and they'll survive the dragon and just run away and not care. Like they are, they are amazing flank covers for 15 points. You can make them even more flexible with surge. Can't run three anymore because they're just too expensive, but I used to run three. Yeah, they're studs, 100% studs. 
So next up, we have the Revenant Champion. He's another infantry character, speed 5, melee 4, defense 5, uh, 4 attacks, dash 14, nerve, and 65 points. Uh, and he's got crushing strength 1, individual, inspiring, and life leech 1. Uh, he can take a horse for 25 points, and he gets uh, speed 8. And he can take Surge 5 for 10 points. And he's got the keywords Revenant and Skeleton. I guess the only way that this guy gets to the table is, is part of the formation. Well, formation, and he still is... He's 65 points, which we all, we've all we all seen the Tom-style Rev King use in Undead. This guy's the same thing, uh, other than he's not melee 3, but he gets one more attack. So he's a budget one, and you still have cheap Surge, 75 points. That's pretty cheap. Yeah, that's very cheap Surge. Yeah, he's the cheapest Surge. Literally, the only thing cheaper is Army Standard Bear with Tome, and even then, that's technically more expensive than this guy. For the cost... He's super flexible. Like, if you put him on a mount, which is how I'd probably always take him, uh, the foot version is a little bit harder to to justify, but he's still technically just good for the price. Like, 75 points for a Surge 5 yeah. character that is still dash... Like, that's the biggest thing. He's defense 5 dash 14. He's still... An- it's another chaff piece. It's another chaff piece in an army loaded with chaff pieces. <laughs> Yeah, he's a Revenant Cav troop when he's mounted for the same cost, even. the My biggest qualm with him, which is actually when we're starting to talk about characters, is just, and Adam can keep saying that the solutions take more infantry, but uh, for everyone else, it's it's unlock slots, get tight. Yeah, I don't know why you guys have any issues. I only take two characters in my list. I could probably take five more based off the unlocks I have currently, not using <laughs> it depends. If I run my like enslaved guardian base list, I ha- I have like f- f- skeletons and enslaved guardians. Same with the mummies, but ah, uh, so- sometimes I want to get character heavy. I love my pharaohs. All right, moving on to uh, another new one here: the Sandborn Worm Rider Champion. Um, I really like seeing this added in here. He's uh, hero, large cav, height four, speed seven, melee three plus, defense five. He is unit strength 1, uh, 5 attacks, dash 14, 160 points, um, crushing 2, so 1 crush better than the unit itself. He is inspiring, uh, life leech 2, nimble pathfinder, and can get surge 5 for plus 10 points. So, and has the skeleton keyword, so revenant royal court skeleton. <laughs> Anybody already hits on threes, right? Does it on threes. Yeah, but it buffs up your uh, casters that want that reanimator rule, right? <laughs> oh yeah, that's a that's juicy. On top of that, man, you you think about it, we get another scoring character. That's rare, you know. Now we yeah. have two, other than Trope. We actually have three because the uh, Pharaoh. Oh yeah, yeah, the the curse. Yeah, the hero, the, the yeah, the curse. I freaks can take. So now look at us. We're rolling in unit strength now. I like the height four. That's my big thing with him is that he adds a new height into the list for a character type um, or more monster square base type than anything. He also competes with the Pharaoh chariot for kind of a similar role. His speed means that he's going to be more of a middle table, midline, uh, find the flanks, punch stuff there versus the Pharaoh chariot. I feel has the speed to play far flanks because he's competing with the other speed eight units. He's nice. I like him. It's a good tech option. I can see him being used as a real thick chaff because he's height four, like literally seven nimble pathfinder. You're going to get in things way. It's 160 defense five dash 14 with still life leech two. We've all played Pegasus or played against them 
We've all played knuckers or against them. Uh, heck, I used to run knuckers and just run in front, uh, charge things just to get in their way because they were monsters. I think this guy's going to follow the same suit. He could charge something as long as it's not a monster or a titan. He's not blocking sight. So now you get those pesky, uh, you know, dragon riders. <clears throat> uh, you could block. Uh, you're never going to if you ever get the charge off. That is, <laughs> but uh, either way, it's still something you could run into and just hold it up. So for me, I think he's he's just missing a little something because he is 160 points and. Um, like defensively, he's not anything special. Our, you know, that 65 point character that we just talked about has the same defensive capability as him at dash 14, defense five. Uh, offensively, I feel like with his five attacks hitting on threes, crush two, there's just not quite enough there. I'd, I'd almost rather see him either have six attacks or be a dash 15. Um, just to have a little bit of variation in here. Because, uh, yeah, that, that 160 price point, I feel like he should be closer to like 140 for what he's doing here. Um, but I, I do agree with Matt. The height four, I think, is the key thing with him. All right. Let's talk. So this is the character version of a giant. Uh, it's like a budget giant, if you will. It's the speed seven, melee four, defense five. Uh, I don't know. Is he, he should be going to unit strength two since he's Titan, but it doesn't show changed on the notes. Um, 12 attacks flat with a fearless 18 at 200 points. He's brutal crush three life leech one and strider. He can take a uh, breath attack for 15 points, which is steady aim 12 inch range with a four up to hit. Ah, like I said, now he's going to be, he's a character choice that can be used as a giant equivalent. But now that the thing is D6 plus 8 and another Rampage or Slayer, I think he's going to find himself competing against that since he doesn't have Inspire. He has one left crushing. And they, he does have Strider, but at that point, I'd rather Surge. I think not having Shambling is a weakness to the truth, but if you want a giant that marches, this is your guy. Agreed. He also is Dash 18, where the uh, new Bone Giant's going to be even better at Dash 19. So, Yeah. And you're getting all that for only budget of the cost. 30 point increase for one more nerve on average, more attacks. Uh, the shambling is huge. The crush four actually will matter. I feel like, uh, especially with the new twilight game yep. coming out, you're going to get weakness uh, everywhere. I feel like, and you know, there is defense six in that army too. So problem with this guy is he competes with his monster choices and we have such other characters that are more pressing to support the monster that is unless you're trying for a speed flank with raw him and some say like you're trying for a whole non-shambling eod army like uh, for some gimmick that's yeah. the only way i could see this guy being ran i like him in undead because there it's a copy paste in undead where they don't have a bone giant option but he just doesn't make the cut here in my opinion We've got too many bougie monsters to compete with. It's true. It's a it's a crowded and competitive space for those those Titan esque units and character slots. Well, he's got a flying brother, uh, the Revenant King on Undead Great Flying Worm, uh, who is uh, basically a mini dragon. Speed ten, uh, only hits on four, four up, defense five. He's unit strength two now, uh, ten attacks. Dash 18, 265 points, crush three, fly, inspiring, uh, life leech one, nimble. He uh, 
He has options for shooting attack for 15 points and options for surge 8 for 15 points. You dropped 10 points. He did drop 10 points. Ooh, I apologize. 255 instead of 265. That's uh that's pretty good. Uh again, I you know, our our list requires a lot of support pieces coming out of our hero slots and this guy isn't really a true support type piece, but um, he's he's a pretty good value for 255. You don't really need a magic item on him. You could take Surge for a, a, an additional Surge caster option. Yeah, I, I actually like him a lot more with that 10-point decrease. It actually makes a, a pretty big difference. Uh, skeleton keyworded. Yeah, because he, he needs to be buffed by Roz. I mean, 265 at that point is a cheap discount dragon that's fearless <laughs> 255 I, I mean adam hit it on the head why i don't think you see them played a lot because as a like it is a support piece heavy army like again you, you pick the support pieces first build the army around it and he's not one of them man he is really rough to to compare with other armies and look at and be like yeah no he's he's why is he not seeing play because he'd be in so many other armies he'd be a steal but yeah just not in eod I think that's another reason why we have such a strange playstyle that people don't even know how to read because he should be auto included in a lot of armies, but for us, you're never gonna see him. Yeah, like it's very rare to see this guy. Yeah, would you take him over Shobik ever? Me? No, I was running Shobik when he was over 300 points. And I know you were. Now I'm like, oh god, 350. He was still good. Yeah, I took him because everyone said he sucked, and then I was like, wow, y'all are crazy. And now I'm like, wow, I was onto something with that. <laughs> Uh, but next we got a uh, Shobik's little brother. We're going into the uh, Living Legends. Uh, Shobik's little brother is Sebik, uh, Sebik Ray, the Accursed. Uh, so Sebik's uh, essentially a uh, glorified Curse High Priest. Uh, same stat line as a Curse High Priest. Uh, one change is he's very inspiring versus the regular inspiring. He is one fifty-five. He has heal five and surge eight. Uh, and his special rule is the glory of the curse. Uh, well, that's basically, sorry, that's basically the reanimator rule. So he gets to reroll dice just like reanimator for every skeleton unit within range for either uh, for his heal and surge up to two dice. The main special rule is the glory of the mighty dead. So after he casts heal on a friendly core unit, he may immediately cast surge uh, on the same target. So you're getting double casting uh, in an army that's built around surviving. Uh, so you want to heal stuff and then surging it. So, um, yeah, this guy is great for his points. The very inspiring is actually pretty clutch in a lot of situations. It, it really comes up for me anyway. Um, his uh, double casting ability, I'm lucky if it comes up once a game. Um, but when it does come up, it's it's really valuable. So uh, he's worth it, in my opinion. I know Dustin likes him too. Oh yeah, yeah, I love the guy. Uh, you've pretty much hit the nail on the head with he's that crucial with the, how the list works. Like for a while, we suffered from, we, you know, we needed, uh, we never had enough casters. He literally let us, you know, make up for that. 
because uh, the hard catchers are so expensive. Him doing double duty was worth it every time. Now with him, he's really hard not to leave with. He pretty much the, the very inspiring. You hit the nail on the head. That has come in more play. Same with Shobik. You know they used to not have very inspiring. That that allows you to spread out more. Which with uh, usually that's not a thing we want to hear. But those late game surges when we're taking our win from a fifteen to a twenty. That's perfect. All right, next up, we have a new unit, Arkenton, Captain of the Dead Seas. He's a unique hero, and he is speed 5, melee 3+, plus, defense 5+, plus, and attacks 4, dash 15, 130 points. He's crushed strength 1, elite, individual, inspiring, life leech 1, and mighty. And his spells are surge 3, wind blast 4, wither and perish 2, and he has a rule called Stormcaller. Once per turn, after using a spell, Arkatan may use a different spell against the same or different target. Keyword, Revenant Skeleton. Uh, this guy's brand new, right, Matt? What's the story behind this guy? Uh, so Arkatan actually was around in 2nd Ed. He's coming. Uh, he was around as one of the characters introduced uh, alongside Jarvis and Maghild and a whole bunch of other of the big named heroes and um he just kind of vanished in between second edition and third um and there wasn't really an explanation as to why he's been reanimated and now he's with us again so but he didn't die because i actually looked into it um i dug into the lore and was like what what happened like was there a justification did he get killed off like you know uh god what was her name hersia hersia got killed off in the lore yeah so I was like, did Arkatan yeah. die? And looked in, uh, he's an Armada. So he has been having a stent in Armada uh, appropriately because he's the captain of the Dead Seas. He got lost at sea for the second and third edition and Kings. That's what it was. Yeah, so he's he's coming back as a uh, attempt to, again, with the idea that EOD is this list that you pick your support pieces first and then build around them uh, to try and provide an alternative. Now maybe uh, people have different takes on that. I don't know if he's going to be the most exciting thing. The big thing is he has elite, which is true elite. So all of those spells have elite baked into them. Um, And in addition, he gets two of them, but they are smaller spells. So the idea is you've got the small wind blast elite, the small surge elite and the small wither and perish elite. He's had a slight points adjustment from his days in second. uh, Because, like most characters, they were just kind of all over the place. But yeah, he makes a, a returning stint to try and see if he can add some new interesting playstyles with the new infantry style EOD. Didn't he used to have a unit that came with him? Like uh, that shot? I, yep. used, I remember fielding that one. He did. Uh, yeah, I don't remember the name of Devlin's it. Devlin's not here. Oh, uh, yeah, because he used to play it. I remember fighting Devlin with it. Care to elaborate on that uh, pain in your voice, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> restless restless souls hopefully we'll make it back next round but not this round yeah that was a real fun unit i remember playing it wasn't like op or anything yeah. so that's that's surprising not it to was see a fun it unit. since you see raw because yeah they were like together all the time question for you matt i actually just realized this why doesn't architan get the uh reanimator special rule to uh re-roll failed hits and stuff with this thing he is not a cursed high priest 
You think he could learn? <laughs> he's technically in between. Like, he's not a pharaoh. He's not a cursed high priest. He's a revenant champion, basically. Like, I actually, I, I really dug into, like, the stats of second edition to try and figure out what he was, because they didn't have keywords in second edition. So he didn't have, you know, he wasn't listed as a pharaoh or a revenant or anything. It was just, like, he just has stats. So it was, it was very much a try to dig up what he was, which uh, I settled on he's a revenant champion. And then from there, what does he look like in third edition? He's mostly a fun edition, not necessarily meant to be top table, but something fun to play around with for a little bit of theme. I don't know. He's a named character. I don't know about you, Dustin, but I see a Windblast EOD army coming up here. And the fact that he's Windblast 4, I'm like, Windblast that's pretty good combo. <laughs> that's how I see it. And it's got Wither and Perish for a weakness, so when they bump into my mummies, or Shobik, it's going to be uh, hard to get past. We could do something. We could work with that. He's an EOD version of Danor, so he's our, he's our Danor. And following him up is uh, our... I was going to say our version of something, but there's nothing that compares to... Our God, oh, my, my baby, uh, yeah, the, the idol. only idol, God, yeah, the only idol we worship outside of uh, our Lord and Savior Dustin. <laughs> we, we, hey, hey, this show because the one who brought me to the light, guys. Like uh, back when he 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 wasn't even half as good as this. He used to be hitting on fours and crushing four, but now he his Iron Resolve actually. Uh, he, it's ridiculous. Uh, so now let's say he went down in cost. He's 290 points for 290 points. You get a height five speed, seven melee, three defense, six, uh, 10 at oh, unit strength, one, 10 attacks and dash 18. He used to be 17. Um, you're, you give aura iron resolve, which you benefit from cushing three life leech, one shambling strider, very inspiring and heal five. You are perfect against gun lines. You're perfect against anti armor. You're perfect. Against, you're perfect in every way. He's my favorite child. You're just perfect. Yeah, it's just perfect. Like he he makes your line better. He may, he's like he's like a sunshine. He just makes everything better. Um, he uh, the light of my life right here because he uh, we all know that we could all count on like one hand how many times he's died. Like pretty much in all of our games. And that shambling Strider, he's a better giant he can hang in even with crushing four in the game his nerves just going up at that one that one nerve that he f- makes it so he could go in with he could rumble with most people and i've i could count i could tell you one game where back when half breeds used to be crushing three three of them charged me failed to kill me i went through and killed all three of them overran into a unit so getting back four of my nerve on top uh, on top of my heels, he went from twelve wounds to one wound. I love I love Shobik. I could I have stories like that for days of him just uh, defeating all odds, catching Basilians, angels when they try to fly away from his wrath, just to be surged twenty six inches across the board with three surge casters <laughs> in movement seven. Yeah. Yeah, the thing that caught people out with Shobik early on was the fact that he was he was shambling. Uh, I remember, I think it was yeah. Chris Kapsner, nope. the first time he played against him. It wasn't me, but it was somebody else. It was at Bug Eater, so I was just watching the game. And this was second edition, so the guy had the monolith with like triple Cursed High Priest casters, and Shobik just aimed straight for a flank of a stampede. And he just goes like 25 inches across the board. And he's like, yep, that's a flank. (laughs) (laughs) 
and he's the guy who could do it too. That sounds great. I don't see as much surge action with him these days. Um, uh, people who know me know that I I have a ridiculously large model for my Shobek, and so I, I run him on a seventy five, which makes it harder to get those nice little surge flanks, but makes him have a wider frontage for blocking stuff. So it's it's kind of a tit for tat. Bigger iron resolve range. But yeah, I was gonna say that iron resolve aura especially in this army that is all fearless is just effectively like just getting two wounds back a turn without for free. That's like having heal four targeting every unit within six inches in your army every turn. Mm -hmm. Like that's the actual value of that. When you like start mathing things out, it's crazy. And then on top of that, he has heal and, and like, People look at that heal and they might like discount it and just be like, oh, who cares? Like he's gonna be punches up. It's like not for the first couple turns. In the first couple turns, you can heal everything around him while he's walking in. My favorite thing to do is Shobik gets targeted, you know, try to focus fire, especially like goblin shooting. They put in 10, 12 wounds, he survives. They think, oh, well, Shobik's gonna charge into me. It's like, no, no, no. Shobik's gonna walk up an inch away. He's yeah. gonna heal. Sebek Ray is going to heal him and then surge him and then yep. we'll get in there. <laughs> yeah, he's, yep. he's nuts. It's like, we're going to get to there, but not yet. <laughs> that's, uh, that's every time. Yeah. He's always worth his weight. Oh, I love the by, by far uh, one of my favorites. Everyone has a good Chobik story. Yeah. I don't. I've only got bad stories. <laughs> you, you have to run him first, Andy, to have good stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've been on the receiving end of those stories. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm the guy that is uh, on the other side of the table in your guys' stories. We've all been there. Like we've all had our battles against Shobik. It's true. It's true. We've all faced each other uh, before, and one of us has always been running Shobik. Dustin showed me the light, and I haven't looked away since. So. I remember the first time we pl- uh, first time we played, I was running EOD. The next time we were playing, he's running EOD. I was like, I've never been more proud of someone in my life because he went. He's like, he's like, yep. And he was, uh, it was top table, so obviously he knows what he's doing. <laughs> yeah. so. If only the shooting worked. <laughs> the last unit in this list. Fun fact: the least picked unit in the entire army, beating out skeleton banners, uh, revenant champions, everything. So Adam is correct that it was absolutely the worst of the uniques. <laughs> Just the worst in the army. <laughs> yeah. Um, so ah. Pathus, the champion of death, uh, my favorite in this army, is speed 10, melee 3, defense 5. He's a dragon stat profile. So speed 10, melee 3, defense 5, uh, unit strength 1, 10 attacks. He's fearless 19, which is one higher than... Uh, how fearless normally goes. He used to be 350 points, which put him tied for most expensive unit in the game. But he had Cloak of Death on top of being uh, Life Leech 1, Nimble, Very Inspiring, Crushing 3. And he had Winds of Death, which is basically elite for his two spells, which he doesn't even really need a special rule for that, which is what comes to his changes. So his changes are 1, he gets Human Strength 2, like all Titans. Uh, he comes down a, a smidge in the points, just a smidge. He's still really good, at least for the way that he can be run. Um, and more importantly, I think, is uh, Winds of Death goes away, and he just gets flat elite. 
Um, it doesn't really change anything for the spell side of things because Winds of Death was elite for his spells. Um, but we get the nice bonus of one, getting rid of a special rule. So it's one less special rule in the game for those keeping track. Um, because Elite does the exact same thing, but makes him a lit, just a tiny bit better on the offense. So his melee three will now be Elite in combat. Uh, and then on top of that, he's just a tiny bit cheaper and he's getting the Titan change. So with all those things combined, which is pretty substantial chunk of changes for him, does anyone else even consider playing him? <laughs> I'd have to build a list around him. I think that's still the case. Yeah, and it had to be like 2500 Yeah, I mean, I think there's a list. I mean, I'm thinking of something really wacky here, guys, but what if you go Apaphis and triple Revenant Kings on uh, Flying Worms, and you're just say, we're here to party. Flying Anvils. Every, oh, you had yeah. Raw, so one of them could have <laughs> Melee 3. Why not? <laughs> My biggest justification for taking him all this time um, like the, the surge and drain with like situational at best drain seven elite is pretty good when you need it. It's definitely better than what most dragons get with their fireball. Um, but what I would say is his biggest thing has always been the cloak of death, which is probably why he was priced so high to begin with. Um, because he has a big wide footprint and he's a flying monster to dump it in places. So my, we were talking about the soul snare being able to deliver just a couple extra key wounds into a couple, like just to turn the tide on a combat in my mind. And the way I usually try to run him is to do the same thing in multiple combats. So it's basically trying to hit a lot of things simultaneously and combining that with brutal on chariots, basically get a two point swing. That's how I've been able to make him work in the past. Definitely still the only way I think he works. But he is really good for that uh, because two two points of nerve in this game. I mean, we're talking about how like mummies being 18 instead of 17 is a massive difference. Right. We're talking about how like, you know, being 19 instead of 18 for the giant is a massive difference. This is taking that concept and putting in reverse when you're starting a combat and your opponent is already two points down on their nerve without having to roll any dice makes up a lot for hitting on force. He's still a phenomenal flyer, and he's still a phenomenal character. The problem is, like, yeah, the game evolves to the point where speeding unit, speedy unit strength right. and unit strength is all that matters. Uh, it used to not be that way. Now it's that seems to be all that matters. That's why you see so many carbon copy same lists. That's what, but uh, just top, a top player is still going to beat it. But it's you're you're going right. to see them. You're going to have to just bat them down. Uh, and his cost means, man, dude, that's. You know, you could almost take uh, two Scorching hordes, hordes for that cost, right? You could almost take uh, uh, you could take uh, two Dracon Regiments, right? That's going to get a lot of done. Like, this half of the cost of the Elf Formation, which is phenomenal. Or any of the other, like, really busted things there are. Uh, I, I still think he's good. I think you can build around him. Like you said, he has a point in a grind list, which is... Dude, Cloak of Death, when combined with all the other EOD powers, is really disgusting. But, like I said, you have to build all the way around it. And... Unless it's high points, it's hard for me to justify it with all my other bells and whistles that I want to yeah. include. But you've made it work. You have a cool model. Rule of cool means I probably would run it just for that. I think he's playable now. I think he is playable. I think before he yeah. just... Agreed. Agreed. He was on the borderline and just there's so many other good options over top of him. Like I think it's still kind of the same thing here, but cheaper and he's gotten better. He's playable. Yeah, I can see, I can see him being used. Yeah, the, the the 
hardest part is what you were saying with uh with the previous hero. Was it uh Jobic. Yeah, where you kind of have to pick and choose what you're taking because uh, just the unlocks in general are going to be hard. You were saying that the first, what was it, 100 and, or 200 and something points of your list is already signed away. The first 650 points of every list I've written for the past year <laughs> has always been Shobik and Pappy. So <laughs> committing a third of my points immediately to two units. Matt, Matt took the uh, EOD Bash Bros to a whole new level. Yeah. No, he was, he was, I mean, he's still expensive. I'm I'm not going to ever sugarcoat that. It's definitely a commitment. I do think you also, like, it's a dragon thing, too. I think dragons kind of fell off a little bit, and especially at higher levels of play, the way that you play dragons changes a lot. Um, in, in middle table games, usually what you see is dragons just being aggressive flyers that find a flank and delete things. But in high-level play, it's less about the flanks and more about the threat projection. And there are other tools that can do that. Like, the the funny thing about Apathis and the Revenant King on Undead Flying Worm is that for, like, 50 points cheaper, if you didn't use the Cloak of Death, you could just buy the plus one to hit item for a Revenant King on Undead Worm and get the exact same thing. Or you can project the same threat even without that, because... It doesn't really matter how effective they are. If people see a big flyer that's looking at a flank, they're like, I'm not going to let that hit a flank. It could, yeah, it could hit on five. It doesn't really matter. Like, Right. So for, for 100 points even less than that, you could just take a Bone Dragon. It doesn't have to kill things to make its value back. We all agree with that. And like, that's a perfect example of it. It's, you shut down a whole t- side of the table. That's for, if you're forcing your opponent's hand an equivalent amount of points, you, the, hey, congrats, you just did what you need to do. So, big fan. So, in other words, what you're saying is he's a 340-point piece of chaff? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> I've absolutely used, to, just to bring that full circle for Dustin, I have absolutely... Used a pathis as a three hundred and fifty point chef piece before. Yeah, have you done that? You've done that for me before. You block, you blocked you blocked with him for me. Sometimes the best option is he's he's dash nineteen defense five. He's still pretty tanky. He's still got some beef to him. Going with projections, and I think we're going to touch on this later on. I'm going to think he may be more playable a year from now than he is three or four months from now, uh, just with the way the meta is going to shift. Oh, bold prediction. I predict that Apaphis will not be the least picked unit in EOD for 2024, like he was in 2023. Agreed. What what is it going to be if he's not going to be? It is the great undead burrowing worm that will be the least picked unit, in my opinion. Yep, yep. The new giant giant just neutered that guy. I think that's a good good (laughs) shout. So Pathis will be the third lead. I heard from the bottom. Yeah. Let's take a quick commercial break. On the other side, these guys will tell us how to play Empire Dust in the competitive environment. We'll be right back. I'm Tyler Schultz, loser at Vanguard, but countercharger in Kings of Four. And you're listening to Countercharge. Welcome back to Countercharge. And first up for you guys, kind of describe how this army is going to play post Clash of Kings 2024. 
I don't know. For me, I feel like the army's just gotten better for the way that I like to play it anyway. Uh, and I think the changes of everything else that I, I can think of off the top of my head uh, doesn't really force the way I play to have to adjust. Um, I want the infantry, uh, even though we have a new great army standard bearer, um, that's buffs the infantry. I don't even think I'm going to play that guy just because uh, I think infantry was already in a good spot. Um, the cheaper skeleton spears are great. Um, gonna definitely be adding a bone giant in, but everything else, I think, you know, that core of the army that I know and love is going to stay the same. I, I think my list is going to change dramatically and hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> to take Shobek, uh, in the near future welcome brother baptism <laughs> my fire right here <laughs> if anything i was gonna say andy's voice here i almost feel has the most impact because uh the other three of us are so set in our ways that it's not really like you could throw pretty much anything in these changes and we'd still run the same damn units the problem my list has had is uh lack of unit strength and um, lack of killing power. Um, I do kill stuff, but it takes a lot of moving components to get things to die. And normally I just stand in the middle of the table and win the game by having, you know, eight unit strength on the table at the end of the game. And spearman hordes or, or what have you. But, uh, or the, the Deadeye crossbow regiments getting surged into the center circle of the board. Uh, while shooting the whole game. That's kind of how my games normally end up. But the the Bone Giant is probably going to be seen a lot more um, in my lists. Still unlocking with the Deadeye Crossbows, which is nice. Um, probably won't see many, like, much on the casters or heroes as I was taken before. So spending fifteen hundred points in heroes, great on the uh, the attrition board, but terrible when it comes to outgrinding people. So, what are your top tips for playing this army in the competitive environment? Let's start with Dustin. What makes this work? Well, one, you have to really have real good knowledge about your meta and what do you think is shifting. Like uh, each meta is going to be different. So, for me and Matt, for instance, us playing in Texas. We have a very competitive meta. We're used to, uh, everyone plays a lot in Texas and we're going to have a lot of terrain. So that might affect the, the upcoming, we, we don't usually have to fight that many gun lines, even though we have a couple of players, we can mitigate it through other means. So our meta is going to be different than let's say, uh, Adams or even Andy's who's in gun country, uh, gun line country. Um, for me, I, I have my own assumptions. What's about to come. Uh, EOD is not the perfect counter for what I think we're going to see. But uh, if I go against what I think we're going to get, I'll just play for the draw plus one. Yeah. Because I know how to beat uh, that type of shooting. I think we're going to see a lot of. EOD is a list that has good performance overall. If we're talking um, just it's hard to define these as Dustin's right. Like everyone's got their local metas. So you're going to see different performances of lists and archetypes and stuff like that, depending on who's playing what in your area. Um, but I would say overall, the, the army's doing quite well. Um, it just, it has a lot of durability. It has a lot of good 
just mainstay core units. Uh, it's got a lot of good support pieces. Like we said, you, you pick your support piece, you build the army around it. Um, and there's a couple different ways I think you can do that successfully. There's, there's definitely a shooting archetype in there. There's definitely a monster mash archetype in there. There's definitely a infantry grind archetype in there. Um, there's definitely a speed list in there. Um, you've got you've got some flexible options with how you want to approach Empire of Dust. And I do think they can all work, some of them better than others. Again, kind of depends on the area of the locale. Um, it's definitely, to me, my biggest, one of my biggest appeals with the army is it is a very high skill ceiling compared to a lot of other lists, uh, which also can make it intimidating to play, I think. I think one of the things when you're first coming into EOD is it's actually really hard to get used to having to rely so much on your support pieces because you're, you're going to find that when you just go face-to-face -face with enemies, you just die um, a lot of the time. You just get out smashed by things that hit you on threes with higher crushing and higher outputs, and you just die. Um, but once you start to get used to those support pieces, the surge, the shambling... Uh, making use of the combination of that with speed, in my case, making use of the combination of that with heal and life leech and life drain uh, in uh, Adam's and Dustin's cases, uh, making use of uh, the threat potential that Surge gives uh, with things like bone dragons um, or the ability to use shambling just to kind of cheat your gun line a little bit in the people who have run that list. Because uh, I know I've seen that before as well. So it, it, you have it's a harder army to get used to playing but once you've gotten used to playing it there's a lot of room at the top to get better with it so following up on that matt would you consider this army a, a new player friendly i would actually say eod i do not think is new player friendly i'm going to be upfront and honest with that 100 percent agree with that you're saying the top is high but is it hard to get going at the bottom end to learn the army? Yeah, it's right. And that doesn't mean it's a bad army, clearly. Otherwise, none of us would be playing it. Um, but if you're a new player, it definitely takes a lot of like planning to learn exactly what your units can do, what they can survive, knowing the best ways to use Surge, how to position to bait Surges, uh, just... There's a you have to be really well versed in the movement sections of the game because the way you win this with this list is basically being legally allowed to cheat the movement section. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. I think that EOD is an excellent, uh, like secondary army yeah. after you learn the game and the core mechanics, and especially the movement phase of the game. When you have the access to the tools that EOD has access to, specifically around surging, you just look at things and you say, God, this actually it's easy to play EOD to get combats that I want, to get in positions that I want, where other armies I, I'm very limited in what I can and can't do. Uh, EOD is able to essentially have two movements in a single turn uh, between surge. Um, but with that, my, my favorite way to play EOD is, uh, we, we kind of mentioned this throughout the podcast here, but is to, uh, have the opponent think about the surge threat 
but when I'm playing it, I'm not thinking I, I try to play in such a way that I don't need to surge to win the game. I'm going to play in the way that I'm going to assume my opponent will stop any and all surge techniques that I want to use. And so I need to win this game in a straight head-to-head fight. But eventually, most games break down and there's a combat that goes my way or one that doesn't go my opponent's way, that a flank uh, a surge opportunity arises in the middle of the game. And identifying those and taking advantage of those is what EOD is all about. Um, but if you need those to happen in the way that you play EOD, I, I think that you're you know, newer players are probably going to look and try and get those things to happen and set up for those things. And when they don't happen, I think they're going to struggle a lot with the army. Yeah, not just that. I I think unit for unit comparing to other uh, armies, we're just worse than them and a lot of uh, our stat lines without having the surge as as something that our units can lean on or not having our support pieces used correctly. So like uh, our main infantry, for example, um, uh, like elves, for example, they can lean on shooting. Our shooting still hits on fives. Um, melee. I mean, ogre troops hit on threes. We don't do that either. We're happy to hit on fours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we we are blessed to hit on fours. We have a whole 300-point model dedicated to letting one of our units hit on threes. And we're, we're talking about how amazing that is when everybody else is like, I already hit on threes. That is what we have going, is the defensive ability. We, we definitely have that in, in droves. But offensively, you're absolutely right, Andy. Oh, 100% right. It's uh, That's what that's a problem. Initially, when a new player looks at it, they always think, of, what can I do? What can I do? Our whole army is, what can we make our opponent not do? That's the big thing is, because it teaches you what you plan ahead. Adam hit the nail on the head. You shouldn't plan that your surge is going to work. The thing is, it should be something in your back pocket. So when you see, like, that's what I do with surge armies. I see a potential, and then I just take advantage of it. But I don't plan on surging anything. But every once in a while, that opponent, you're going to catch him with the pants down, like I said. Uh, we've all been there where we see a lucky surge last second and bam, you're done. I'll harp on the fearless thing a little bit more because um, it's a it's a thing that's not really talked about as much, I think, because no other army has that level of fearless, right? The, the closest is undead with about 50-50, give or take, maybe like 60-40, slightly more fearless than living stuff. But like EOD has two units that are not fearless out of like 40. The big thing is is... Every unit you have, you're going to know that it's either going to be able to take an action or it's just not going to be theirs. So, like, you're never going to be wavering. You're never going to get in your own way. You're never going to be able to not plan around something being a problem unit for you. And if it is still there, it's going to be able to hit something. It's going to be able to move. Um, You will always be able to move. So, yes, you're slower on average. But you can scuttle, sidestep, back up, shift, and like combine that with the ability to then surge back into things. Like you have so much flexibility in your ability to just play the movement games. Talk to me about scenarios. Which ones are 
ones you like and which ones you're like, ah, I'm sure dominate is one of your favorites, but every scenario is dominate, right, baby? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Y'all could all message Tristan Glidden. I, he was having mediocre results. And then I, it, the light clicked when I said, dude, just play dominate. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, every mission's dominate. And then all of a sudden he started going like th- uh, four and two, you know, like three and two, four and one or three, one and one. And I, he goes, that makes so much sense. And it was after I think y'all two played Adam that he finally understood what I meant by every mission dominate. The funny thing was, I think we actually played dominate like, in our game. Like I know there was a middle objective we were going after. So <laughs> it's just, it's just perfect. And, that's great. It's it's. I actually am probably the only one who likes. I actually enjoy push with EOD. I know we can't march, but who cares? I was like, uh, that's why I always got on to Steven about. You can scout now. Yeah. Oh yeah. Now I can scout. But Steve, uh, Steven always got on to him about it because he would complain about not being able to march. I said, I don't pay a six times five for movement. It's thirty. I'm across their side. So uh, not being able to be wavered is such a big factor, and. And now we also have loot caddies now, especially the new Revenant guy, uh, the, the new hero. That's a good loot caddy. Like uh, we have three loot caddies now, and I well actually we have more. We have the new we have several guys now who can march. Cursed high priest on chariot taking some loot tokens isn't bad either. Yeah, the 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 hardest scenarios for EOD are definitely the ones that require you to hit stuff. So like raise. Um, or I, I gotta make sure I know which one is which. Saltier is the one where you burn your own tokens. Um, that one's not, yeah, that one's okay for us. Um, raise is usually pretty difficult for us because the stuff that we have that is not if you have scavengers, only if they leave their stuff unoccupied. Man, I'm just saying. <laughs> hey, if they have to babysit a token back there, I'm already winning. Yeah, yeah. That one can be harder for us. I also think bluff can sometimes be tricky depending on what your composition is. I've actually done two two recent head-to-head uh, mirror matchup EOD fights with the bluff scenario and won both of them almost entirely just based on the fact that our list archetypes were different. Which, I mean, that's a case in point. The standard EOD list can sometimes struggle with getting to tokens across the board when it's got to be careful about its approach um because like yeah you like the biggest the i'll say this if you're playing against eod the biggest mistake you can make is charging head first into the middle of an eod line and not have a plan for the next threat. yeah even if you have a bag full of hammers uh good luck like you're gonna one of one of your things is not gonna pop it and that's all you need yep if something doesn't pop, you're just going to die. You're just in the meat grinder and you can't get out. You want to work up from the outside inward, or you want to make the EOD player have to come to you where they're hindered and therefore not able to take as many good hits. You just got to find the weak spot because it depends on deployment and w- positioning of tools. Because like when Andy and I played, um, I did a you know a gut punch and I blew up the middle of his line and then I went out both ways from there. So oh, yes, the typical make a hole, exploit the hole. Make a hole, exploit the hole. That's the game plan. It, it was a skeleton <laughs> horde hole, so it was a big hole. Unfortunately, it worked way too well. Talk to me about terrain. 
I love it. Terrain's perfect for us. For instance, we can't march anyways. So, so if we can't march, it just slows people down to our level, which we have ways around marching. The fact that we could dance out of LOSs, dance on the other side of forest buildings, jump around buildings, your bone dragon's happy, uh, Pathfinder on anything's happy. Now that we have two uh, a character in a unit that has Pathfinder, the, you, and now we have a of guy who gives strider to our infantry that's that was our only negative about terrain all of our big stuff had strider uh, it was cherry uh, like now it's infantry could hit on fives or fours uh, all around i was like that's really powerful to have that in the army uh our mummy troops now uh people will just think about them being hindered well not anymore for 50 points i could get all of those things you know i could run it over there and give them strider yeah Answer me that. I love terrain. It helps us survive shooting, hide from shooting. Uh, the gun lines in Andy's area. The year I won Paragon, I went against it was six games, and I went against four. The least shooty army I fought was probably Adam's list, which was elf shooting. I was going to say that's that's really surprising to hear because that was the year of the Silver Breeze for me. So and well, and that was the year with uh, everyone had four Alchemist Curse Casters. So and I fought. Every single one of those guys. <laughs> so, uh, but you know, it's that if, if there's a lot of, ter- if you're fighting gun lines and there's terrain, you can mitigate that shooting. Yeah. Like, we don't want an open field battle. We, we actually suffer in open fields. I will say, though, that I think this also ties into the a new player friendly uh, aspect because I think that for us, a little bit more advanced with the army. We definitely have that opinion of more terrain, the better. We're going to abuse it. We're going to find the the fun tricks that we all know and love. Um, it can't see me on the other side of the hill. Okay, I'll move up on the hill. I'll surge and I'll get in combat anyway. Like, you know. Yep. But new players, uh, you know, if this is your first army, you're going to run into a lot of situations where you just don't know what to do. And uh, the, the terrain can definitely add to the complexity. When new players ask me about how do I deal with hitting on fours, I tell them I learned to play by hitting on fives because that more often than not, your stuff is going to be hindered a lot of time. And that's with surge. So like you can, you can control it and cheat it out a little bit. As Dustin said, as Adam said, like surge allows you to, ignore a lot of the terrain in ways that you know other armies can't so you can start in trees walk out and then surge and suddenly you're no longer hindered despite everything else you know walk onto that hill surge down the hill allows you to play hill tricks um same thing with the forest you can start on the other side of a forest move into the forest and surge out of the forest and like yeah you'll be hindered but you just charge through a thing that no one else could have charged through Oh, the Legion of Chariots, that's where that comes in handy. You move eight inches on top of a hill, now half your base is off the hill, and surge down it. You see, <laughs> love that guy. Oh, I love so it. So easy to stay on the hill. It's definitely, it's it's a perfect, like Adam nailed it. It is a perfect example of new players aren't going to know those tricks as well, and definitely aren't going to be as used to using them. But once you've got that experience down, it the, it flops, so it changes from from being like a detriment to being one of the best things that the army can play around. Feels like the army definitely needs those tricks too, in in order to be as good as it is. Uh, what do you guys think of the boots of seven leagues on the undead army standard bearer? To let him scout up with all the infantry that you just spot uh, scouting for as well. It's something. I don't think it's needed. Eh. 
you could do it. Well, if you if you scout up, you know, you're ten inches, right? And your rear of your base is not going to be ten inches away, right? It's going to be about nine inches away. As long as it's a, a regiment or a horde, it's going to be about nine inches, or if it's a little less. So if you had that army standard bearer right next to him on the front line, twelve inches, you're already going to be inspired, anyways. And then like even running, so running plus because he's very inspiring, right? So running plus that's 19 inches away. The farthest they're going to go is at 10 plus 5, 15 inches away. And that's in, you could still surge them and still be within nine. The the fact that we have three very inspirings, two from heroes and now one from the uh, standard bearer, that should be enough. You could also just give the army standard bearer a mount and he would be right up there after the first turn of movement anyway. And that's the mount's cheaper than the boots. Yeah. For me, the army's always super light on items. Like, Strider Boots is kind of a no-brainer, um, especially with Shambly. It was always good even before the the merger between uh, Potion of the Caterpillar and uh, Jesse's Boots of Striding. But nothing has changed for us. It was always the one you took. Uh, and then... Uh, other than that, I think the only other items I usually like go to are maybe Aegis for tech reasons and then uh trickster's wand for tech reasons um, but otherwise it's usually pretty item light like a five pointer item to round out points usually this is where andy differs from uh the rest of us i think andy you want to tell us you want to tell us how many points you spent on magic items probably 200 maybe yeah you gotta stop that <laughs> that's a whole mummy regiment that was your first mistake <laughs> That's four skeleton troops, but yeah. <laughs> hey, Matt, I'm surprised you like Trickster's one on the Rev Hero on the height four. That guy's going to be a no winner for us. Like, I like it on the Ferret Chariot, even height three, just speed eight and the ability to reach out and just hex something. Yeah, that that too. I, I like it. I like hex on Red Fiends, which I know Adam did, and I like them on uh, Thanes on Frostfang. So I yeah. could. I could see it on that guy. This and is definitely going to be the year for it. So if you weren't taking it before, you should really look at it now. That's that's my prediction for the meta. That is a good call out, though, Matt. That is probably the biggest meta change that I would expect to see. That's actually going to be a hindrance to our EOD. Um, if more armies have hex in them, it's going to be you know harder for us. Oh, I'm looking. I'm looking more at. How much, how much spell word I could fit in an army? That's what I'm looking at. What types of armies are EOD good against? Everything. Oh, that's easy. That's Alpha Strike. Alpha Strikes are key. Easy win. Like, uh, if I fought uh, Lohi Spam back when that was popular, Varnger, when remember the Fallen were popular. Yeah, the Dracon Hordes. Yeah, when Dracons, were, Dracons and Dragons were broken, I fought them all the time. Uh, that was Table City. Every, anytime I saw an Alpha Strike army, I'm like, wow, you're going to die and bad. It's going to be a tabling. Feels like anything elite. Any army that charges into skeleton spearmen regiments and bounce or mummy regiments and bounce, we win. Yeah, yeah, we win. Uh, yeah, it's, I feel I, 100%. It's the counter grind. Like, we tend to be the top grind. There's a couple of arguments that can be made on other grind armies, but we're one of the top grind armies. We're really good anti alpha because they can't fly over us like other grind armies. Um, which, which is the common way to get around grind armies. Uh, okay, fly your Forsaken over me. I'll take a free rear draw, a surge. Like, it's not hard. That's, I think, my easiest counter. There's certain gun lines that are easy to counter, but there's certain gun lines that are not. 
I know that for masters. <laughs> if I can't hide, I'm done. You mean you played against Travis Tim and his goblins? Is that what I heard? No, I played them with a uh, force of nature, but goblins are the goblins are easily the hardest matchup. I'd say. Yeah, the goblin shooting is pretty rough. Anything with a lot of chaff and shooting, so like Ratkin could be an issue too. It's, it's points efficient shooting. That's like shooters that are sub seventy points, like uh, which goblins and rats are. Now you can still beat them. You just have to play in terrain or avoid them. Another one is surge all the way around them, so they can't shoot you with everything at once. <laughs> it's slow, yeah, but it works. The, those two matchups are the only reason I play the dude, the Pharaoh with wings. It really depends on the scenario 100%. against the armies, but um, I would I would say one of the hardest ones is definitely any sort of invade or control. Yeah, invade against a a horde army is really difficult um, for us. That's what I had against Travis. It was control versus goblins. I said I need seven turns, and I need to uh, I need full seven turns, and I, I had to kill everything. <laughs> if not, it's not going to work. And then the year before that, though, the Lord uh, the Lord punished me there. The year before, I played Corey's Rats list with my EOD, and it was Dominate. And I was like, hey, <laughs> you know, he, he taketh, he giveth and taketh away, right? <laughs> so Yeah, normally it's a it's a great scenario, but man, when he has, you know, 36 unit strength and you only have 20-something, it's rough. Oh, no, it was easy. It was an easy win for me because uh, it's a, uh, I could get Dominate set in there on the woods and I could get it so you can never land True. with rats. He, so. he just can't grind through. He only had a couple of hammers with his, uh, yeah, it was a two sons. Of Kirk. sons. Yeah. And that's back when uh, I could have rally one on all my giants. So they're dash 20. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's no going away that from is, that. <laughs> that Unless nice. you go really heavy into enslaved guardians. One of the biggest weaknesses of the list is just big blocks of nerve. Um, because the list struggles to, it has really consistent damage. Like everything has a lot of crush. So it's, it doesn't matter what you're fighting. You're always going to do like four to five wounds, give or take. The problem is that that's all you're doing is four to five wounds. In my experience, the number one tactic to beating EOD is just to out unit strength. Yep. So I've heard that people have struggled against, uh, uh, Trident realms no. uh, or in snare armies in general. And I've never had that issue. Uh, have you no. guys? No, but I, I've had a couple of my new players have trouble with it because of the, they played, uh, they played on tables that were like heavy terrain. So they're always negative two to hit. I was just adamant. Why didn't you flank them? Yeah, because <laughs> they don't get ensnared on the flank, right? I was gonna say you're you're doing it wrong. Uh, that's why I was like this. Just get better and learn to flank. They them. have units that don't have ensnare, and you have ways to keep them facing the wrong direction. Those units and those armies run into a similar situation with us where they're very defensive because they have those rules, but they don't really have that true hammer. Yep. So as long as you set up to where they have to come into you, then you set up the counter charges. If you're going into them, you're just falling right into that same trap. So And now that's where the soul snare comes into play because ensnare units usually have low defense, except for you know the Ector and a couple others. Okay, so if you're defense four and three, soul snare is going to eat your soul. So literally, so um, yeah, so that's when the soul snare. That's the reason the soul snare is good. What are trying? Uh, what are uh, melee four things not good against? And snare. What's the soul snare good at? Well, low defense units. So yeah, kind of like the old ice list. The ice list was good at the low defense, and the giants were good at the high defense. Balances out. Is this an army that you want to go first or second? I like second. Second every time. 
if I can. Depends on the scenario. Uh, yeah, invade. Invade would be the one I would go first. I love going first with this army. You take up more board space and whatnot. Going second's not bad, but I will go first if I have the option, except for in control. Yeah, I tend to always go against, uh, in our missions, I always tend to go against all these wind blast based lists. And I like when they have to get on objective first and I get to crush them. It depends a lot for me. Running a speed list, the biggest thing is that if you go first, you're going to force your opponent to have to deal with the fact that if they if they move, they're, they're in charge range. Um, which that's always a great board control position to be in, where you just have the board. But the flip side of that is uh, going second is really nice for scenario play uh, a lot of the time. So for me, it's if it's a fast army, I'll usually go first for the board control and sacrifice the just just hope to win the game before the end of the game, basically. Um, and then if it's if it's not a fast army, I, I'll go second. I don't care. Still going to be able to have board control in any way. Yeah, especially your army. Your army's great at the board control. It I, it depends. Adam nailed it. Uh, I tend to like to go second, but I'm also more of a counter puncher when these really exploit people's fear of surge. <laughs> That's what I've been doing lately. I, I could go either way. I have a lot more shooting in my list, and I think you guys do. Yeah. So I don't mind shooting a, a unit off the table before they get to go. Or if I go second, then that lets our soul snare shoot on the, our first turn too. So just more shooting is more shooting. The fact that plank damage against us doesn't do much because we heal it back, but every wound that we do to them, for the most part, is damage that they're going to have to deal with for the rest of the game. Just helps our grind more and more. Yeah, that's true. What points is this army good at? Oh, I, I'm a, I'm biased. Anything, I'm always 23 or above. I don't like small point games. Well, I do agree that I think it's better at the average of 20, 250, 2300, that kind of level. I don't necessarily know if it gets better at like 2,500 or anything like that. Not that that's a very standard level, but um, I definitely feel like it gets worse at 2,000 um, because you just start running out of the points that you need to get the tools that you need. But I think that flips when you play really low. Um, like if you go to like ambush games, uh, the, just all the built-in survivability is so ridiculously strong i was gonna say the opposite where i feel like you need those support pieces and it's really tough to get them when you're looking at like 750 points for ambush you don't care you just built in stats at that point and mummies at 115 points just beat every other unit that's 115 points yeah, it feels like you would be cheated ambush. Oh, but that's the thing is you get the weird sweet spot. Like alpha and shooting do better at low points because yeah. they're more valuable. But like grind really takes off once you're back in the day it was twenty two fifty, but twenty three is when grind starts pulling ahead. And twenty five hundred that's when toolbox and grind tend to outdo a uh, alpha strike. That but that's also why I like twenty five hundred. <laughs> you gotta get to see all the weird lists that no one ever runs. More points, more toys. Big battles. That's what I want to say. Big, giant battles. Yeah, 2,300 or more, or like 1,000 and less. Yeah, that's yeah, that's true. Either super hyper-efficient or let's bring the whole kitchen sink. Yeah. Aiming at Pharaoh and ambushes feels like cheating sometimes. <laughs> the defense 6-16 character. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's uh, talk about some lists. Adam, you want to share your list? Sure, so... Um, with the 
updates. I uh, really wanted to get a bone giant back in my army. So tweaked it from just slightly in order to do that, but I uh, still got the core of the army. So I got two regiments of skeleton spearmen, two regiments of mummies, a horde of warriors. I have two hordes of enslaved guardians, one with J-Boots, the other one with Pipes of Terror. I have two scavengers, the Soul Snare, uh, Bone Giant with uh, the Slayer upgrade option for him, uh, Monolith, Sebic Ray, and Idol of Shobik. So 14 drops, 26 unit strength. Anything you want to mention about the army? I mean, uh, what was the philosophy behind it? Uh, it was basically stick with what I was doing. Uh, the main changes, I love my mummy troops, uh, but I wasn't able to get, I, I had two mummy troops before and an undead worm and I wasn't able to get, uh, the, the mummy troops to really work out points wise because of the increased points with this, uh, bone giant. So I combined the troops of mummies into another regiment. Um, but the, the philosophy is I love my infantry. I, I love the army. The fact that I don't care about unlocks. I did a quick add up. I actually have 11 total unlock slots and I only have five of those slots taken up. <laughs> so I have six floating unlocks in my army uh, because infantry are good and you should run them whether or not they unlock anyway. <laughs> so... This uh, this style list, this army is just really kind of it, it. It feels like home for me. It's just that center army that I'll always come back to and just love playing, whether it's good or not in the meta. I I feel I feel strong that I can play this to a high a high level. So, well, let's compare it to Andy's list because I have a feeling it's very different. Mine is a bit different. I am uh, running four regiments of spearmen. Uh, Adam got me convinced. Hordes are good at holding things up, um, but the regiments are very uh, efficient. Uh, still running the two units of crossbows, regiments, uh, two scavenger units, desert swarm unit, soul snare, two bone giants with slayer, monolith, uh, pharaoh with wings, and shadow beasts. And knowledgeable and uh, Roz. It's kind of where I'm at right now. Still got a little bit of points left over. I haven't quite worked the kinks out of this one yet, but. Sounds like Shovik would be a great fit. Just saying. <laughs> I think he's going to join the Brotherhood. Yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm leaning towards it. <laughs> the killing power of the Giants is a huge change in the list. I'm also looking at taking one or two of the. Uh, Sorry, the Sandworm Worm Rider Champion, the height four with on him is pretty useful. Possibly with Hex. Oh yeah, with Hex that would be that would be great. Yeah, Hex on height four is always a good thing. I, I'm I'm never gonna leave home without the two regiments of crossbows and the swarm and snare and monolith and pharaoh with wings. I didn't hear Shovik though. Not yet. He's not a true believer yet. Yeah, I am. I've got like two hundred points left over. I'm trying to work with. <laughs> he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to rage quit. That's what it is. Matt or Dustin, do you guys have a list you want to share? So the most recent iteration of the nonsense 
has been a horde of enslaved guardians with the Aegis of the Elohi, uh, a troop of Revcav, a regiment of Revcav with Jesse's Boots of Striding, a swarm regiment, uh, four regiments of Revenant chariots, just as they are, one Soul Snare, one Monolith, one Pharaoh on Royal Chariot with uh, Blade of Slashing and the Trickster's Wand, uh, the Idol of Shobik, and Pappy. Uh, the only thing that really changes points-wise with this list is Pappy drops 10 points, and now I have to figure out where the heck to put those 10 points. Um, which, uh, realistically, I'd probably either finagle to get the Revenant Chariots all bows, or potentially upgrade the Swarm into a Revenant uh, Cav Regiment, or uh, Troop, rather. Um, try to find the 50 points to do that. Uh, from the magic items, which gets super tight. Get a scavenger, be a man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, 30 points, it's a lot more reasonable to to squeeze 20 from the magic items. It is. I'm surprised you don't play them. Like, they, they would fit really well in your army. The height three isn't such a big deal since you're all height three there or higher, yeah. but um, they can keep up and they can, you know, get in the you're way. You're not wrong. You're definitely not wrong. But the biggest thing is it just makes the, the Shobik-Pappy combo a little bit better. Because um, it just means that their one-two punch just hits even harder now than it already did. And they basically just shuffle. There's a lot of games of just shuffling them around each other and keeping it so Pappy is never being charged ever, 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 ever. And Shobik is always in the way. Which is working so uh just for the record uh i was bullied mercilessly by uh adam ballard and also other members of the rc uh and if i basically held out until i saw the data from the app that showed pappy at the dead last bottom pick of the list <laughs> um, and at that point it became pretty obvious that i could not justify not giving him some love so just for the record any any buffs were clearly biased and unprovoked. Pappy did not need changed, and Matt Carmack said clearly, so. Yep, I'm just making my army better. That's that's exactly what yeah. happened here. So, you know, all the ten people running him were just sometimes. <laughs> the other option is I I ran a Revcav list back when third started, and that list also changes like very minuscule. It basically just gets a magic item for the list. That's what it does. Um. So it doesn't change a lot of how I would play it. Uh, the list actually performs really well in the meta right now um, because a lot of people are running shooting stuff and the fearless fast list closes the door so fast that they just get run over before they have time to apply the damage they need to. Um, and the lists that it struggles against are usually the high nerve ones just because it doesn't have a lot of attacks and output. Um, it loves to fight Alpha Strike because it's that same, hey, you want to come in and fight me? Then I'm just going to surround you and eat you. Uh, and especially with Speed 8 Chariots, you could get so many places so quickly. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, it still works. I don't think it goes like 5-0 and and meta shaping. There we go. Well, awesome, guys. Uh, it's been a Herculean effort. I really appreciate the time commitment to chat about all things EOD. 
I know you guys were the perfect cast. You know, when I was thinking we're going to do an Empire of Dust Army review, I know Dustin and Adam have been on it, but actually all of you guys, but Andy have been on it before. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, Andy is our Devlin substitute. Now. Yeah, he's, he popped our. So is he better than today. Devlin or worse? How would you compare him to Devlin? <laughs> He lost to Devlin, so I'd say worse. <laughs> oh, damn. Well, he, did, he didn't say Shobik, so he's not a true believer yet. <laughs> yeah, even Devlin ran Shobik, so. <laughs> yeah. 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 Hey, get your beard back and you can challenge us, one of us. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I really appreciate the time. Obviously, it's a huge effort to do this, and we really appreciate you guys' insight. Anybody have any final thoughts on Empire Dust that they want to share? Gaming, boys. That's it. Just keep yeah. gaming. It's going to be a good year for the Dusty Bros. I agree. Amen to that. I, uh, at this point, have a hard time picturing me taking anything but Dust to uh, Masters for 2020. Are you going to make it, though, so. Adam? Have you, are you, are you, Am I going to make it? <laughs> I mean, qualifier or like the cost of the flight? Rob, <laughs> Rob, have you seen our region? Well, isn't Michael Sigler like the second best player in your region? No, now? he's the best player in the region, technically. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic. Uh, that, no, he, he hasn't showed up for a while, so I don't even think he's going to qualify. By that, I mean, I don't think he's going to bother going that far to, to play. So, Well, guys. Thanks very much for coming on, uh, and hopefully the, the audience enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed listening to your pontification on all kinds of great topics. Uh, that's going to do us tonight. Until next time, keep countercharging. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge fifteen or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons. 